This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the BatmanUniverse.net. Check out everything related to Batman and the entire Bat family at the BatmanUniverse.net, including news and original content related to comics, movies, television, merchandise, video games, and more. Also, check out some of the other unique podcasts that TBU has to offer. Consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Even $1 can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy. Look for a link over at thebatmanuniverse.net to offer your support now. And now, on with the show. Gotham City, like any other large metropolis, abounds in girls of all shapes and sizes. Debutantes, nurses, stenographers, and librarians. Gotham City Library, Miss Gordon speaker. Lopez hair removal, this is Jose. Holy transformation. One minute, plain Barbara Gordon, librarian and Commissioner Gordon's daughter. And the next minute, something new has been added. Batgirl, modeled after her idol, Batman. Holy apparition! No, boy, wonder I'm Batgirl. You are no longer alone, Cape Crusader. It took me three years to track down the Jade Gato, and three more to figure out how to steal it. Funny, it only took me ten minutes to figure out how to snatch it back. No matter how you do it, crime doesn't pay girls. Barbara Gordon Podcast, episode 203 for February MMXXI. Backroll the Oracle is brought to you by. The Justice League wouldn't help him, so Batman formed a new team. These people of power are all looking for something, be it their past or a purpose or simply somewhere to fit in. These are the heroes for a troubled age. They are the Outsiders. We are the Outsiders! Oh, we are the Outsiders! Covering Mike W. Barr's 1983 series from the very beginning, 
as they face villains no other team can, like Agent Orange, the Force of July, and the Nuclear Family. <laughs> Puns. This is The Outcasters, a Batman and the Outsiders podcast. Look for us with The Huntress Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. Or listen at our website, thehuntresspodcast.com, and follow us on Twitter at BatOutcasters. We are The Outcasters, because to live outside the law, you must be honest. Batgirl the Oracle is also brought to you by MileHighComics.com, your new and collectible comic book store. Mile High Comics has an inventory of over 5 million comics from the gold, silver, bronze, and modern age, and over 100,000 trade paperbacks. If you're not into the vintage stock, Mile High Comics also has a subscription service called the New Issue Comics Express, offering a discounted price for comics ready to hit the shelves. So if you're looking for vintage back issues or a great modern subscription service, be sure to check out milehighcomics.com. Okay, here we are. Look at these people. This is, this is actually a really special day. So the person on the right, I don't know if it flips on YouTube. The person on the right, I have known for 10 years. He was one of my first class of students. And then we became friends, maybe family, who even knows, is Jacob Sawyer. Welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. (laughs) Oh, yes, yes. Continue. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, what's your long time in the making? I mean, I I came on. When was that? Was that for your hundredth episode? It might have been the call-in show. The call-in show. And it was a one-way call, so I heard you, but then, like, Josh Bertoni and Donovan Morgan Grant were in the background reacting to things that I was saying. Yeah. It was also the first time I ever called you Stella. <gasps> yes. And, and now here we are, where that's what you call me normally. And now the person on the left I actually just met 10 minutes ago. I saw her at Wegmans. She almost wrestled someone to the ground to get the last rotisserie chicken. I said, lady, I need you on my show. No, in actuality, I guess I've known you for three years now because of Jacob. So this is my second married couple. It is Shaquana Branch, a.k.a. Asha, a.k.a. Petunia, a.k.a. Wiki. I call her all of these things. So I'll probably go in and out. But welcome, Shy. Hi. I'm so happy to be here. And about... <laughs> 50% of that story was true about the whole wedding. <laughs> Basically, the only part that wasn't was that we hadn't just met. Everything else was pretty much true. <laughs> yeah, the rotisserie <laughs> chicken. Man, let's just say you don't want to meet this lady at the Wegmans Isle in front of the, 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 the poultry products. Yeah, not at like 4.30 when they're like just restocking. Get out of the way. <laughs> So thank you for being on. This actually took a bit of manipulation, I would feel. Okay. Yeah, on, on, yeah on, on, we won't say who was harder to manipulate, but we had been talking actually a while about just talking, I don't know, different issues. I think we wanted to talk about movies and things like that. And then this story came up and I thought, oh, this might be a good one to discuss with you because there's not much outside knowledge needed for it. It's a good one-off. So I thought, let's do this. And it's Black History Month, which happened really nicely. I did not plan it, but we're going to be talking some Orpheus Rising Black History Month. You can see my little figures there to represent (laughs) Black Panther, the king. But yeah, so welcome again. Thank you. We're excited. 
just to give listeners an idea of who you are, what is your comics history? Even if it's just film, like what got you into, because I know you guys are big Marvel fans, what got you into comics or this nerd side of pop culture? My exposure to comics has mainly just been through the MCU. And that started with, I think we had like the Incredible Hulk and the first Mm -hmm. Iron Man on DVD. And I was always so intrigued by the the post-credit scene in, I think it was in Hulk where Tony Stark is like, we're putting together a team. (laughs) And I was like, what is that? And then that was kind of like my launch pad into like the MCU and kind of having a general knowledge about comic characters. I will also say I took your, your comics. uh, What was that called? Like an H period seminar about comics. And so that was also a small exposure to uh, certain, certain comics, which was great. Yeah. And similar to Sam Heath, who's been on this show, I've also pushed some comics onto you. I think I've lent you like yeah. the long Halloween and yep. and certain really iconic stories that I felt like you needed to read. What about yeah, you, Shai? Sure. Yeah. So mine, I was never like into comics or superheroes or anything like that. My brother and my dad would always be like whatever new Marvel movie was coming out. But then The Amazing Spider-Man was coming out. I feel like I'll get some flack because I feel like that's like the least popular least liked iteration of the spider-man movies but i saw the trailer and i was like that looks so good and it was coming out around my birthday and i went and saw it and i thought it was great and from then on i was a really big fan of spider-man and got really into the mcu obviously like we've seen all the movies and stuff i've never really gotten into actual like paper comics though you know i'll read some like backstory about characters that i like to try to like um, maybe catch Easter eggs that are going to be in shows or movies, but I've never actually read them. But yeah, more into them than I ever thought I would be. And you can see, kind of, I'm wearing a Spider-Man yeah. shirt. I had to dig out. I almost gave it away, and I was like, I have it. So is Spidey yeah. your favorite superhero? Would you say? I would say, uh, yeah, I think so. It kind of fluctuates sometimes, but I think Spider-Man remains number one. Yeah, You're I will say. Company. Oh, you go ahead, Jacob. What'd you say? I was saying you're in good company with Stella. Yeah, absolutely. I will say that you're not alone, that I very much enjoyed The Amazing Spider-Man as well and was super bummed when they decided to reboot or whatever they're doing. You know, I'm not a huge fan of the current era of Spider-Man, so. I'm not either. It's really sad. I feel like still bad saying that, but like after I first saw like saw the first movie, I was like, that was fine. (laughs) I don't know. I just, I don't know. I just have mixed feelings about it still. And I will say, just with the Marvel movies, I feel like that's how I kind of got to know you, Shy, because you happened to be going to the same movies. I was going with Jacob, and then I would go with Jacob and Ellie, and you would be with the group of friends, and Jacob would like say (laughs) hello, and I'm like, oh, who is this person? (laughs) And so I slowly watched as this like friendship developed into, oh, is there something more going on? So it's like. So the Marvel movies brought us all together. I think I must have first met you. Was it after Black Panther or was it after a Thor film? It was. I can't remember which one. I think it was after Thor Ragnarok, I think. Okay. Seems late, but yeah, I guess that would would, Yeah, because then Black Panther came out a couple months later, I think. Yeah. And that's what we, was that the first one we all saw together, maybe? I don't know. I don't remember. remember. (laughs) I think that was another one of those, like, you guys went back in the theater, we were in the front of the theater, and then. Whatever came out after that might have been the first one we all went together. Gotcha. Yeah. And now it's like we generally see these films together, which has been a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, 
Now, of course, this is a Batgirl podcast, but what is your specific history with Batman and how much do you know about Batgirl or Barbara Gordon? The majority of my knowledge from about <laughs> Batgirl is from listening to your podcast. Okay. I have watched several of the DC animated shows. I don't remember which ones they were. I think one of them is Batman the Animated Series. Okay. Can't say for sure. Batgirl pops up in those sometimes, and I'm always a fan of her. Uh, I like also when she's voiced by Tara Strong, <laughs> which I guess she's mostly voiced by Tara Strong. Mostly, really yeah, but now... Showing my hand here, but... Current times, yeah, they've got they've got new people coming on, but yeah. in the past, yeah. Yeah. I also... Oh, dare I say this on this podcast? <laughs> we... I, I think my younger brother, Michael, which when I was 13, 14, he was, you know nine or ten and he checked out the killing joke from the library and it was sitting on our table and i even though he had checked it out i got to it first and i started reading it and i don't remember how far in i got and i was like this is demented like this is messed up (laughs) i sure did i was like mom dad michael checked out this book and so i didn't and so but then of course they like looked at it and they were like you can't read this either i'm glad i didn't because it was horrible but yeah, you didn't. Did you get down. to the scene? I well, I think I was flipping through it and I okay. saw that, and I also saw some like other gruesome things in it. But I will say, I think that you had kind of referenced it a little bit before, but I didn't know kind of the transition between Batgirl and Oracle, and so I think even having that knowledge there, like it made sense to me. I was like, okay she goes through this trauma to become Oracle. And so that was like a helpful thing to know about Barbara Gordon, about Batgirl, but also a a tragic and terrible thing. And I guess for me, very little exposure. I, a couple years ago, went on a date, not with, not with. (laughs) Oh no. There we go. Batman versus Superman. Mm. And I thought it was awful and not because, like I just thought it was just bad. So that was the only thing. And then I saw, I mean, I saw Wonder Woman and in terms of like DC comics and stuff. And I thought Wonder Woman was great. But yeah, as far as Batman, I think that was the, the first and only thing I've seen with Batman. And I was like, meh. And then as far as like Batgirl, I mean, when we were reading Orpheus, Jacob gave a little backstory about the whole Batgirl to Oracle thing and a little bit about that trauma uh, just to um, just to give kind of some insight about that. But that's it. Very limited knowledge. Well, I'll have to lend you guys my Batman trilogy. Like, give you- we're probably the most inexperienced people that you've had on your podcast in <laughs> I terms don't think of that's comic. True. I don't think that's true. You're fine. Are you feeling? Are you nervous now? You feel like you don't belong here? Oh no! I invited I- you on here, full, full knowing history. So I, I think we're fine. <laughs> we're imposters. Oh man! So shy about that date. When did you see? Did you see that film opening night? <laughs> Uh, Jacob and I went to see that the night it came out. So I just wonder, were you in the same theater with this random man? That would have been messed up. I don't think so. Okay. I feel like it wasn't opening night. And then also, I feel like, I mean, Jacob's so tall. Like, I feel like I would, and I knew Jacob at the time. Uh, So I feel like I would have, like, seen him. Also, I don't even remember what theater we went to. I don't remember. We would have seen it okay. legal stadium. We, I don't I know if we you, did too, yeah. but different night. I don't think it. No, because it would have been really crowded, and I don't think the theater was very crowded. Movement. I feel like okay. it was like a little bit. Well, late. I don't want to, you know, 
create any drama. I just thought it was interesting. Oh, boy. Okay. So thank you. Thank you for being on. Please do not think, you know, poorly of yourselves. We're going to make it with, I mean, this is, I think, a story that anyone could potentially read. Uh, That should be one of my questions anyway. It's just how new reader friendly is this particular story. So I think we're good. So we'll move on now to, I think we've been having fun, but I call this the Find Your Joy segment, a.k.a. Shag's Mac and Cheese of Comfort and Joy. You know Shag. You know of Shag, don't you, Jacob? Hi, Shag. It's been, we're in 2021. People like to think that it's a new year. I like to think that 2020 is still going, really. Nothing much has changed. So, wow. (laughs) Nothing much has changed. Prove me wrong. It's like 2020, but with more hope, I feel like. Okay. Yeah, we can go with that. Yeah, I, I agree with that. So what has, in some of these troubling times when you're down, what has been giving you joy? Mm. What have you been doing? Activities? Beating people up at Wegmans? Does that bring you joy? That's definitely number one. (laughs) Number two would be eating rotisserie chicken. (laughs) I'm kidding. (laughs) Like watching TV. I was just thinking this morning, we've watched like a lot of new shows, which kind of sucks because we have like a lot of time to watch the new shows and we get through them so quickly. So I think there's been like three that were like, all right, it's over. And there's not another season. So now we're just like waiting. But that's been fun. And then like, it sounds cheesy, but like I've been like doing like gratitude journaling and stuff. So that's been kind of like nice to sort of like recenter mm-hmm. myself and kind of keep keep going in this place of like cultivating gratitude because it's really easy to just kind of like feel really down and stuff. So that's been good. And cooking a lot. Mm. I've been a lot of cooking. And that's probably it. Yeah. Well, I am a recipient of your yes. incredible cooking. <laughs> so that always brings me joy during these dark, dark times. Uh, also, I would say reading. Not as much in the past few months. I've been like working my way through a pretty long book, which I guess we'll get to later. Earlier on during the pandemic, I was doing a lot more reading, which was really good. Um, yeah. And TV shows, listening to podcasts. Oh, and every now and then on like a Friday, this person <laughs> oh yeah like just shows up at our doorstep and it's like oh let's watch a movie <laughs> so that's been fun <laughs> okay yeah you stole my i was going to say oh, that for oh, my find your joy seven i am that person people now i do ask permission first so even though many people might think that i would actually happen upon your doorstep and that would be it. I do ask probably nine days in advance. Bella has a whole method here. So what <laughs> she does is she gives us nine days notice and plants the seed uh-huh. and then speaks about it in definite terms. Like, <laughs> oh, are you excited for our hangout? Where it becomes like implanted in our brains. And of course, we're going to hang out with her on Friday. But it brings us joy. Yes, it brings me joy as well. It's just fun to eat out. And of course, we're safe. We're distanced. We wear our masks when we're not Mm -hmm. eating. And yeah, just watching a film. So we've watched some stinkers and we've watched some good ones. We watched, I think the only stinker we watched was probably Antebellum, wasn't it? Oh my goodness gracious. And then then we had all that crazy, what was that? Tenet? That was great. Oh my goodness. (laughs) I forgot about that. What a ride. Well, that was our second time seeing the movie. So at least we had some 
knowledge of it going in. But this time we watched it with subtitles, which I feel like was a lot more helpful. Yeah. yeah. To even and Shai kept yelling at me because I was guessing things and she didn't yeah, like Which it. I don't know how. Exactly. I was like, very specific prediction. <laughs> also, you have no right because we'll be watching something and you'll do that. Well, well, how do you know? How do you guess that? And then it happens. What has been a top TV show that you would recommend to people? Are we going to be basic and say The Office? Well, no. Okay, we watch The Office all the time, which is like what everyone does. This is our like third that third time through watching yeah. the show. I would say Teenage Bounty Hunters on Netflix, but they canceled oh it, so I won't recommend that to you because then you'll just be sad at the end, or it'll just you'll be happy that you watched it and just happy that it happened. We watched Uploaded. Is that what it's called? Upload, yeah. Is it Upload? Or? I think it's Upload. Maybe it's Upload. I don't remember. It's on Amazon Prime, and it was created by Greg Daniels, who also created The Office, the American version of The Office. And it was really good. Like It was like a mystery slash romantic comedy slash sci-fi. Very interesting. Like When he described it, I was listening to a podcast that he was on, and I was like, that sounds really interesting. And it was. And so I think they're working on the second season. Yeah. So that's one of those ones that we like finished. We're like, now what? But yeah, it's on Amazon Prime. Definitely recommend. It's funny. It's dramatic. It's kind of weird. And yeah, it's funky. We also watched, what was that show called? Never Have I Ever. Never Have I Ever on Netflix. Which was created by Mindy Kaling. Who okay. was also on The Office. Yes. That was really good as well. Yes. Okay. And then we did Luke Cage. We, we watched oh, wow. season one oh, of Luke yeah. Cage. Which I had watched part of season one. And I had but, watched it for a class. So we were retreading old territory, but it was really good. Yes. We're going to watch season two. We also eventually. watched The Mandalorian. Oh, The Mandalorian, which I have to represent. Yes, Grogu. Did Grogu shirt. When they from were sister. separated yeah. from each other. Oh, you cry a bit? Yeah. You should be a little tired. I did. Well, I, I think the closest I came to crying was when, oh, wait. Oh. Are there people that haven't watched The Mandalorian? That's, haven't watched that's them on them, I'm afraid. So he's about to say something All right, spoilery. Tweet out if you haven't watched The Mandalorian. Yeah. But when, at the end, when Luke Skywalker and R2-D2 yes. come in, and they rescue, well, they don't rescue Grogu, but they take the child to train him. And just when R2 comes into the room, <laughs> he I, I didn't lose it, but I like got emotional because I was like, R2-D2. And like, he's in good hands. He's safe with R2 and Luke, except. Okay, so anyway. Yeah, oh, those would be, that was a lot of shows. I'm going to pick my one that I recommend is Upload. Okay. Uploaded, so. okay, well, uh, if I watch it, then you are beholden to my opinion. So I'll... Oh, I think you'll like it. I think you'll like it. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. I, you know, speaking of Pedro Pascal, he was recently cast as Joel in the upcoming HBO, The Last of Us. Oh, I thought of you when I oh. saw that. So I'm I'm wondering. I mean, he's so charismatic. I haven't seen. I think it's called Narco, which I get, I assume he'd be probably. It's I think that's a darker show, and he'd probably be kind of angry. So I'm just trying to picture him being kind of this curmudgeon Joel. Uh, so we'll see. We'll see what that is. But you know, I'm looking forward to that since it's one of my favorite games. Is there is there another? I'm so out of it. But Tom Holland was cast in something Uncharted. Is that that's a similar game to? Yeah, well, it's by the same, yeah, Naughty Dog okay. did both Uncharted and The Last right, of Us. Right, yeah, Naughty Dog, yeah. Yeah, and then Uncharted is a movie, whereas Last of Us is going to okay. be a series. Yeah, They're making some interesting casting choices over there. Yeah. See how, we'll they, see. See how they do. Indeed, indeed. 
Well, I think that's it. So see, we have been finding our joy. That's all that matters is always <laughs> seeking out. That's that's my message to people. So even if you feel like 2020 is still in 2021, find some way to, to go out there and, and find the positive. So. So here we are. We're going to be talking Batman Orpheus Rising. And when I first saw this on my Word, well, Excel document tracing all of Oracle's appearances, I thought, who the devil is this? I've never heard of Orpheus. And I don't think I'm alone. And, well, I'll talk about what happens to Orpheus in the future. But, boy, they spend some time on him, and it kind of goes nowhere for the character, which is a little unfortunate. So we'll talk Mm -hmm. about that and just do this character deserve the attention what happened to him that sort of thing so i will say that orpheus of of course we're going to see he is a black character and i was happy that the writer and the penciler were both people of color um i should have done more research with uh with danny mickey and the colorist shannon blanchard but uh at least we have some representation which i was happy about so this is batman orpheus rising so i'll give you the synopsis which comes from wikipedia so wiki will be happy that i use that uh i'm, I'm lazy so this is just what happens uh writer alex simmons penciler Dwayne turner inker danny mickey and color shannon blanchard and the issues came out it's five it's a limited series from october 2001 to february 2002 and the issue titles in order are mean streets who is orpheus Orpheus Rising, The Long Way Down, and Ashes to Ashes. Okay, so here we go. Batman investigates the murders of several cops believed to be racially motivated homicides. The GCPD put No Man's Land veteran Carl Esterhaus on the case, although he is accused of brutalizing minority gangs. Chris's Allen, Harvey Bullock, and Renee Montoya burst in on a new vigilante named Orpheus while staking out the Russians. Orpheus escapes the shootout, and Batman begins hunting him. Batman talks strategy with Commissioner Aikens and warns new crime lord Rasputin not to cross the line. Orpheus visits the hill to confront a gang called the Deacons and threatens their leader, Sly Tolliver, for harming women and children. Batman interrupts Orpheus and chases him until they come across another cop shooting. They cooperate on the crime scene, but Batman tells Orpheus the city doesn't need any more amateur crime fighters. Orpheus shows off his high-tech equipment and insists that black children need better superhero role models. We'll certainly be talking about that. It's revealed that the cop veterans were all no man's land veterans. The police crack down and the city explodes into riots over racial profiling. Orpheus tries to balance his personal life as an entertainment producer, which sounds sketchy, and collects information by posing as reporter Basil Brass. Batman and Orpheus meet again when Esther House's best friend is the next victim. Batman fights Orpheus. Of course, there are always heroes fighting heroes in these stories. And kicks his ass. <laughs> kicks his butt. Thanks, Wikipedia. <laughs> yeah, I know. Seriously. Although they didn't even put, you know, dollar signs. Although Orpheus insists he is willing to die for the cause. They discover the murder weapon is part of a GCPD weapons cache or cache lost in the earthquake. Orpheus, which was cataclysm. Orpheus reflects on his origins and remembers why he decided to fight crime. His career as a touring professional dancer showed him brutality and injustice that needed to be fought across the world. Batman talks to Nightwing about the image he projects and decides to accept Orpheus as an important part of the war on crime. Batman and Orpheus finally team up to investigate the weapons cache. They're ambushed by Rasputin and Tolliver, then a bomb goes off in the ensuing firefight. Orpheus drags Batman out of the wreckage. 
They drive into the riot as it turns into a full-blown gang war. Both of them realize there must be a mastermind, and Esther House is the only person capable. Batman brings Batgirl, Black Canary, and Robin to help deal with the street violence while Orpheus goes after Esther House. He confronts the ring of corrupt cops and learns that they were killing officers to justify a militant crackdown. They try to shoot Orpheus. So basically, all the gangs are against each other, wipe them out, and then, yeah. They try to shoot Orpheus, but he takes them down and broadcasts their confessions on the radio. Esther House is arrested by Aikens. Batman officially welcomes Orpheus to Gotham with his approval. Well, that's nice. In the aftermath, <laughs> Orpheus reconnects with an ex-girlfriend and talks uh, about appreciating nice days when they can. So that was really summarizing this, uh, leaving some details out, of course. Uh, no Man's Land, did that throw you? Did you know somewhat of what No Man's Land was? It was laced all throughout the comic, the entire story. No Man's Land, No Man's Land, No Man's Land. I was like, what is this? So we, I mean, we were able to kind of figure out what it was from a brief search on the internet, but just like the, the gang violence in Gotham and everything in upheaval. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it was, I think, you had mentioned earlier, like, is this an easy story to kind of read if you're just getting into it? And yeah. that was like probably the main thing about the story that I was like, if you haven't read No Man's Land, you better brush up on your research because we're like, what is that? <laughs> yeah. In a sense, No Man's Land, the government decided just that Gotham is not worth it. And so they, they cut it off from everything else. And there are d- these different areas. What helped you, I guess, to, to help other new readers, what helped you most knowing about No Man's Land and how it connected to this? Just the trauma, I think, that the that some of these characters had gone through and how like the stakes were super high. And so I guess they didn't want history to repeat itself. Um, I think that was like motivating a lot of the characters, including the cops. Yeah. And also, like, it seems like they're in this period, like in these comics that we read, sort of like this period of reconstruction almost. And so this specific trauma of like mm. there not being any like sense of community during no man's land and just and everyone kind of at each other's throats and then like trying to fix that now and then that sort of like feeding into new issues yeah i think that definitely helped to show like where these issues are coming from that there's already kind of like underlying tension because of what had happened before absolutely yeah and especially with esther house i mean that completely informs his character because right. his motivations and and what he he's just his character has been so molded by the events of No Man's Land that he's like carrying it over and, and it's time to change because like you said, you're we're in a period of reconstruction and so you yeah. need to change where you were. We're not in No Man's Land anymore. Absolutely. Yeah. Were there any other uh, sticky parts for you guys as new readers? Mm, I feel like there was, but I forgot. Like, I mean, sort of like with the characters, like Esther House and stuff, I was like, who is this? Sort of just like not being familiar with them and just sort of kind of like tracking and also trying to figure out like, you know, what characters have kind of appeared in other stories and like their kind of like backstory is already set, like bad example, but like Batman versus like Carl Esterhouse. And as far as I know, as far as we know, there's not like a ton, like he's, like you said, he's basically kind of formed by this no man's land thing. So just trying to figure out like how important people are slash were and like what roles are going to play and what roles they have played. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, and you were missing a pretty important key, and that was Commissioner Gordon. So mm, yeah, yeah. How you got what you guys thought about that having Commissioner Aiken. So Commissioner Gordon, uh, he <clears throat> was shot in a storyline called Officer Down, and then he retired. So that's why we've got a different commissioner. 
Wow, okay. But I do have a later question uh, in regards to Aikens to see how this story would have changed. But yeah, he would he would probably have been like, "Where's Commissioner Gordon? What's going on there?" <laughs> yeah, about that. But so overall, would you say this was mostly new reader friendly? Could you hop on and just read this five issue story and hop out if if you're interested in in seeing more uh, black characters? I think so. Yeah, I mean, it, it's an introduction. It's like the not not an origin story, but like an introduction to Orpheus. So it's not like there's at least somebody who's as new as the reader. Like it's not like everyone's already established mm. and the reader is like entering this and it's like, who are all these people? There are other people who are also like trying to figure out what's happening. And in a way, even though Orpheus is like the new character, Batman is trying to catch up to who he is, just like we are. Mm. Um, so we're sort of like on the same playing field that like, we're like, we don't know what's going on. We don't know who this guy is. So yeah, I think I think so. I think it definitely kind of can stand on its own. But maybe with definitely with a little bit more research, like with No Man's Land and stuff. But yeah, I, I did, we didn't leave it feeling like what the heck was that? Like I think it's yeah. new reader friendly for sure. Yeah, I would echo all of them. Cool, cool. Okay, so then we'll start off easy uh, with the did you enjoy <laughs> did you enjoy this story? I mean, I threw this at you. I had no idea going in. <laughs> what it was going to be like. So I was reading it along with you guys, but what do you think overall of the story? Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, it was interesting. I mean, for me, like I said, never having read like any comics, it was like just like an interesting thing. And we had fun. We read it together and we would read it out loud. And Jacob always did the voice of Batman. <laughs> um, I did the voice of Batman and Carl Esterhouse and Rescue. And they were really funny. <laughs> um, I'm afraid we're going to need a uh, demonstration <laughs> later on. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. But yeah, it was that helped, I think, with like keeping the story and like keeping all like the voices and stuff. But I think by the end of it, it was enjoyable. Just like the introduction of a new character was interesting. Um, and that, that made it more enjoyable. Like I was saying, like it's not just like entering this. It's an already established world, but like entering an already established world with some like newness to it, I think helped make it more enjoyable. And then also just like the way that they talked was funny, like just so early 2000s. <laughs> it, was, it was like funny, but there are like actual issues happening. Uh, so I, w- I would say, yeah, it was enjoyable. Yeah, I I would say it was also enjoyable. I liked that there was kind of a sense of mystery throughout and kind of yeah. Batman and, and Orpheus coming together to solve a crime, even though Batman very much did not want Orpheus in his territory. Yeah. But I liked that kind of sense of camaraderie that they eventually sort of had in the end. I liked seeing Oracle pop in every now and then and have her little things. You read for Oracle. Oh, I did. Yes. She, yeah, that was nice. Yeah. I, I thought it was a pretty enjoyable story, I would say. Yeah, I think overall, I would say I enjoyed it. I think it took me a little bit to get into it mm. uh, just because a lot of stuff was happening and there's so much narration that you're like trying to track. And he's got really heavy questions in the beginning, which we're going to we're gonna talk about, mm-hmm. but just tracking with everything that was going on. And then once you get to know Orpheus a bit more and actually zero in on, on what the story is about. I think that's when, when I started uh, feeling more connected to it. I feel like the cell of 2020 w- reacts differently than the cell of 2010. And we're going to talk about, of course, because there's some like realism here with what's going on in, yeah. in, in, 
everything. So I feel like in 2010, I don't know, I would have probably just read it and would have been really superficial, but now really understanding a lot of the issues that this is focusing on, I think I had a better connection with it. So I'm glad that I'm reading it now. But uh, poor Orpheus. So I, I found this trivia it was at the end of the, the wiki article that it sets Orpheus up for many future appearances. However, he was seldom used. His next major appearance is an instrumental role in the war games, which nobody likes crossover and oh, no. killed by black mask. And then this article literally said, because we can't have nice things. I saw that. <laughs> I didn't write that. I didn't write that. So uh, I don't know. So unfortunately, yeah, they're really, developing this character heavily i think opening up more diversity in the in the bat universe especially and then he's never used which is really disappointing so i'll at least throw that out there we're going to come back to it so we're we're not done with with orpheus and talking about that but just so you know there's no future for orpheus because we can't yeah, have night things so sad okay so we'll we'll keep in the easy and we'll talk about the covers and the art so i like to do some share screen so you can see at least the covers oh. as we go. I guess you probably also have your, I can tell you've got a screen up, but this is always yes, on. At least for our viewers can see what. I feel are. like Oracle right now. We've got all our screens. <gasps> Literally over. Screen How many now. screens do you have? We have, we have three. Three. Okay. We have the main one that we're zooming on and then both of us have our laptops. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. So this is issue number one. And all of them, which I find really interesting, the and we've got a, a graphic designer, more or less, right? Would you consider yourself that, Jacob? An artist. An artist. Sure. Okay. I, we got I don't that. know if I'm And it, you work for a signage company? That is, that is true. Okay. So it's interesting, just the Orpheus, it's got sort of this tech tech kind of feel to it i mean you guys were talking about being yeah feeling like bites b-y-t-e on on the zoom call but this is almost yeah. which is it's interesting like do you feel like the way that his name has anything to do with the rest of the story how they've designed his his title card almost oh, that's interesting i don't think i even thought about that i didn't look <laughs> i don't know i didn't notice that I don't know if I connect connected the connotations of his name so much to this first cover, but I will say I am not a huge fan of how Batman very much takes up the majority of this. Um, sure. I feel like Orpheus doesn't have that much definition to his costume. Uh, he has this kind of rounded helmet and these kind of muted purple colors, um, at least kind of at the back of his costume. And so to have that as the thing in the cover, it doesn't make a lot of sense. It's kind of like, oh, what's that kind of Mysterio looking dome thing back there yeah. behind Batman? I mean, I guess it sort of adds to the like, oh, who is Orpheus? The intrigue of the character. But I would have personally picked a different angle. I mean, he has his yellow highlights that we'll see later as part of the costume. He has like some, some uh, ornamentation. So I would have tried to show a little bit more of that. But I think also a uh, a trend of these covers is that it's very Batman heavy. Yeah. And my only thing would be to say that Batman sells. So you're trying to sell this new character using Batman. So I feel like that's part of the reason. And and I mean, because it is rising, I do like that, you know, Batman is facing and, and Orpheus is there out in the shadows, but potentially you could have this angular turn where Orpheus comes out on his own, whether we see mm, yeah. yeah. Also, oh, yeah. Oh, I was going to say it's a, like a important part of his, I was going to say costume, whatever you call it, uniform, that he does fade into the mm. shadows. 
And so that probably, I think that definitely has something to do with like kind of how he's back there. Also with, like you said, with like the whole rising thing, like you don't see him like full face on the cover. They'd be like, who the heck is this guy? But like, it's sort of like, Oh, who is this mysterious guy? But also like, that's part of like his thing is like slipping into the shadows and not being seen. Absolutely. And then of course the, image at the bottom there were the smoldering the yeah i know and there's blood there which is that, interesting just coming off of officer down that i wonder what people at the time were thinking that oh there's another mm. officer shooting story mm. but yeah okay anything else on one i don't think so here's number two so orpheus is he by himself okay so orpheus is on his own mm. now we see he's got more of a purple yellow feel to it so that's mm-hmm. almost like back roll there and a destroyed city in the in the background mm. there, or at least perhaps under reconstruction, depending on your viewpoint. Yeah. Glass half open, glass half full. <laughs> uh, what do you think about this? It's Gotham. <laughs> it's always yeah. in some state of disrepair. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> this was my favorite cover. I love that Orpheus is front and center. He's in his action pose. I like. I think I'm more intrigued by comics, and this might be very like uh, shallow of me, but I like comics that have a cover that is very visually interesting, especially in terms of like an action pose. So the fact that he's like doing his Kung Fu thing, his his training. And I also love all the definition of his costume. I like the complementary colors with the purple and the yellow. I think it looks really good, really strong, but it still says who is Orpheus. We still don't know who he is, but (laughs) there he is. Yeah. Yeah, And like you said, I like the background of kind of Gotham in ruins. This was my favorite cover of the five. Yeah. I don't think I have a ton to add. I, I like, I definitely like, I feel like there's a purposeful, like stark transition, transition. <laughs> That's not the word I want to use. Whatever the word is like difference between the first cover and this one. Like he's in the shadow. Contrast. Con- Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> I'm like, I know this is going to happen. I'm going to try to say something. and I'm going to forget what the word is. <laughs> Thank you. Sharp contrast between the first one and this one. Um, Cause he's in the shadows and now he's like front and center. And he reminds me of Frozone from The Incredibles. Oh. Even, even out before that, I'm pretty sure. Only so, a few years before, a but yeah. Years, yeah. Yeah. So I think, I don't know, it's kind of cool. But yeah, I, d- I like that he's like front and center. He's kind of like, it does say who is Orpheus, but it, it gives you the idea that you're going to find out who Orpheus is in this one. Yep. And it's a dynamic cover, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Number three. <laughs> Back mm-hmm. with the bat. Back with but the now bat. we've switched. We've switched positions from issue number one, and we've got oh. Batman in the background, background, yes. and Orpheus is in the front with a smoking gun, and another dead man, though you can't tell that he's an officer, which is interesting. They didn't have the shield. So yeah. thoughts on this cover? Um, that was something we, we said when we were reading it. We're like, oh, he's holding the smoking gun, which was interesting because if I remember, it was like the second one ended with like Batman being like, Oh, you killed them or something like that. He's like, I just, I just found body. Like, I don't, I didn't do this. So I thought it was interesting that they have him holding the gun and it's like, did he kill him? Or I don't know. I just think, I wonder what kind of the intention was behind that kind of, yeah. Like the artist's intention, but yeah. And I also think it's cool to have like, now it's flipped with Batman in the background, but I don't know. You can also say that Batman's trying to like, take over or whatever and trying to be like, Oh, like this is my city. And yeah. Yeah. Batman is coming at us the way that you went for that rotisserie chicken. Oh, <laughs> true. he is surging forward. <laughs> Everything in his being, he, he's going to smack Orpheus back. He's going to beat him up. It's crazy. <laughs> um, 
I like how dynamic this cover is. There's a lot going on. I like the use of the foreground, middle ground, and background. I think that's always very powerful. The contrast, I like the white background, but with the dark colors of the capes and the, the costumes, I think it's really dynamic and action, action-y. I'll also say that this, the guy, the dead guy in the very front, mm-hmm. they use that same art like <laughs> at least three more times throughout the comic. We were like, is that another guy with his dead head hanging back and, and a goatee? Like it got kind of confusing later on. <laughs> Overall, I think a a pretty strong cover. What do you think as an artist? And I've criticized, I've critiqued your art as (laughs) heavily, heavily. Uh, Yeah, but in the in issue two, we've got an actual background, a a cityscape, and here it's more or less white with, I guess, a, a blue at the top there, like a gradient almost. But what do you think about that? I mean. Perhaps did the artist think it was already busy enough? Didn't need something in the background? Mm. Is there something missing having just this plain palette behind all the figures? I think the plain palette helps to accentuate the individual figures and focus in on the action of what they're doing. I think the one before with Orpheus striking his action pose, there was more ability to have that kind of background because it was just him. He was in this pose, but I think also the backdrop of the city kind of complemented what he was doing. But with this, I think it helps to kind of hone in on the all the details of each character. Also, I mean, with Batman's cape kind of fanning out like this, it's a lot of linearity that I think it would be a little bit too busy if there was anything crazy going on in the background. So I personally appreciate the, the kind of the clear gradient in the background. Gotcha. Um, I think it helps to hone in on the, the action of the moment. Okay. Number four. Number four. So we do have a background in this one, mm-hmm. the cityscape. I uh, can't tell. It's hard to read whether these two are, I don't know, in an antagonistic pose or, or what, which I guess perhaps is, is the point of it, that there is some ambiguity there. But you've got the gargoyle, so we're up top where Batman lives. What do you think about this one, the long way down? In my notes, I wrote M.C. Escher. <laughs> oh, interesting. I think that the di- I am very confused by the direction and the perspective of this cover. Uh, like clearly they're up in the air and yeah. it also helps that it says the long way down as if they're falling. But just the fact that Batman is kind of swooping almost like down under and he's going to like hmm. punch upward to Orpheus and then the way Orpheus's body is posed, it's a little bit confusing, I, I have to say. Is he punching or swinging? See, that's exactly, I don't know. Like, it looks like he's, like, swinging on something. I don't know what he was. Oh, wait, well, yeah, he's holding on to a... He does have, yeah. Well, I wasn't sure if you meant his left, is that, yeah, his left hand, which looks yeah. like a claw right now if he's about to build yeah. a hand. Yeah. 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 Some wonky stuff going on with the perspective, but I I do like the action. It almost is kind of like a yin-yang of Batman and, and Orpheus kind of Interesting. encircled around each other. That is very, you know, now that you mention that this is, like, the first time that they're on like an equal like they're like basically like the same size mm. Mm, yeah um like you know the first one it was like they were kind of the same size but like Orpheus was in the shadows and then the next one batman was nowhere to be seen and then the third one yeah. batman was like still in the background but like now it's almost like that yeah like you said like kind of, they're both kind of like foregrounded so i don't really have anything to say about that i just think that's interesting no that's definitely interesting. Uh, yeah 
thing to notice. And they kind of, I mean, there were scenes, of course, that they were on rooftops, but I, I wonder about being so high from the action because the story really is grounded in the oh, people yeah. and on the streets. And so to have them so separated from that is an interesting choice for, for the covers. Well, and like they are above <laughs> the high rises. Like they yeah. are extremely high in the They're air right there. now. <laughs> yeah. I don't even remember any scenes in the comic that where they were up this high yeah but that's a good point yeah like it is they were down closer to the crowds and, and this is it yeah okay and our last one ashes to ashes we've got lots going on we've got a huge orpheus and teeny little things <laughs> and then batman again coming after it's really interesting how often batman is just coming towards orpheus but <laughs> yeah your thoughts on this final cover Oh. Yeah, it almost like that's funny. It almost like it's like Batman always has some animosity towards him. <laughs> like he just doesn't trust anyone. So it's like, is he like going towards like the action, you know, going to save the day or whatever, or is he like going to literally just this coming other after Orpheus? Who has the exact same goals that he does. <laughs> Um, and it makes it like really unclear because they put Orpheus in front and then have Batman coming at him. So yeah, that's funny. And it is, I think it's really funny just the way that Morpheus looks like he's posed like that. Like the kind of shoulders up and like the head tilted. I don't know. I think Some Mount Rushmore vibes or something. Yeah. It's, it's funny to me that this one does have so much going on. Because I feel like this one was like the most kind of like grounded, like you said. Like this was when they're literally like in the crowds of people. Like the other ones are kind of like overlooking and they're always like hearing about this you know, shooting that happened or meeting with the gang leaders and stuff. But like this one, they were like, I was confused, like reading because they were like all in the crowd and stuff. There's a lot going on. So in the same way, there's a lot going on, but it still feels like they're like hulking over it all, which I don't really feel like was how it went. I feel like they were really in the middle of the action. And this one is like a gigantic Orpheus. <laughs> it's just like <laughs> monitoring the entire city. Yeah. yeah. I think I tend to, as I've mentioned, like the kind of action sequences more. And when I say action sequences, I guess I mean like kind of these like, this is a moment in time. I think with this one, it's a lot more movie poster-ish. There's a lot going on. I will say like, there was a lot of stuff that happens in this last issue, this last volume, last issue. Yeah, issue, I guess. And so I do think that the kind of movie poster style lends itself to kind of including all that happens and giving you an idea of what's going to happen. I guess just from a visual standpoint, it is a little bit busy and it's not my favorite, which is unfortunate because I feel like there are multiple things alluding to the fact that Orpheus as a character is just things are going to go downhill. Mm-hmm. And to me, this is one of them. Like the, like the covers got it from yeah. good and they got a lot better than they went downhill. Again. Unfortunately, yes, in my opinion. Yeah. I like the, the use of colors. I mean, I think, Again, you have the complementary color. So you have the purples and blues against the yellows and oranges. And I think that is a very strong contrast and strong yeah, contrast. I don't know what else I was going to say. But yeah. Yeah. I think the only thing good about this particular Orpheus is just that he's front and center. I agree. Yeah. Taking up the majority of it. But it is odd given everything else. Like you would almost wish the whole page to be looking at this huge conflict at the end between the gangs and the police, of course, and then Batman and Orpheus being there amongst them instead of, as you described to shy, having this monitor watching. Yeah. Yeah. Strange. So, it almost because it just looks out of place. It almost alludes to like, 
is Orpheus the cause of all this That's violence? <laughs> I was just thinking that because like maybe I'm being looking too far into it, but like the way the kind of light is bouncing off of his little helmet thingy, and then like what looks like lasers coming out of the <laughs> helicopters. I don't know. It looks like he's, and then he's like surrounded by all the smoke. Like he looks like he is the cause of all of this, and he's just like staring down at this <laughs> destruction that's happened. Yeah, it's hard to know, especially given the antagonism, right, that you had spoken of before. Yeah, just who is this Orpheus? And yeah, so if I were, you know, if you were walking in a local comic shop and you saw this, I mean, what would your knee jerk be? Just like Batman's, there's this villain Orpheus and Batman. He's trying to destroy the city. Some alien planet where all of their tech and costumes look like some sort of (laughs) prey mantis thing. And he's here to just, I mean, it looks like War of the Worlds, if I'm being honest. Yeah, there's, yeah, I think that there's some strange things. And I do want to talk about the coloring as well, because I I think his skin tone might Mm -hmm. also send a poor message. But that's one of my, (laughs) some of my questions. So we'll get it. Those are like the serious questions. But are we, are you uh, all good with uh, issue number five? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I think now we're getting into the tough Let's see what's my first one. Oh, okay. So I could pull this up. So Orpheus has some big questions in the beginning, which you don't really know that it is him, but in his narrations, he's actually asking about different things. So he says, what is a community? What defines a culture? Who defines freedom or identity? And so (laughs) I'm going to ask these questions of you. (laughs) you. You studied beforehand. What would you say a community is? How would you define what defines a culture? Who defines for you more identity? It gives you some options if you choose to use some of those choices that he gave you. Hmm. Honestly, I like wrote down like what my like answer would be to those questions, sort of like in light of the story, but also like in general. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, like as far as community, I mean, I think community is like, definitely like defined by people who have like a common goal. When I was in school, I was, I did theater and well, I, I took theater classes. I was never in any place, but we would always like, our big thing was like ensemble. And we're like, what's the definition of ensemble? And we have like this exact definition that was like, it's a group of people working together towards a common goal. And as cheesy as that was, I think that's kind of like what a community is. Like there's something that like pulls them together. Some, some, some sort of like, common good they're working towards something that they all relate to something that makes them a community and then I think they sort of like because of who they are like all their differences and all their you know things that they have that's what makes up their culture and then I think from that they're able to kind of I think the culture defines like what freedom or identity means within the community Mm. and the people and the history make up the culture I think it's all like intertwined. Does that make sense? That that's just what I that was just what I thought. That's not really based off of like what he said. That was kind of like my thoughts based on life experience and coming off of reading this. There seems to be like just an overall sense of community or a idea of what like a goal of wanting to have more community and unity. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah, I think the thing I honed in on with community was like their more intimate groupings within society. I like that you kind of hit on like it's kind of a cyclical thing. Like you have like these smaller intimate communities, you have the overall culture and then you, they kind of influence each other almost. The way I sort of thought of it was that 
you have like greater society. And so you have these communities within the society that are influenced by the culture and the culture is a product of society, but then communities make up society. That was really deep. It's all, (laughs) I think it's all cyclical. I think that they are separate, but I think that they also influence each other. So do you think this story as a whole, is it a struggle of communities? Is it a struggle of different cultures or is it all of this? And that's why he brings it up. Like people have their own ideas of what these things are and they're at war with each other. And so that's why there's this conflict. I think the fact that it focuses so much on the different communities, the minority communities, the police community, um, and then like the different gangs, the deacons, the Russians, I think it does sort of show that they all have kind of different motives and different initiatives but that you have this overall culture of, we talked about it a little bit before, but like the kind of rebuilding, uh, but then also just kind of the the backdrop of no man's land and the kind of oppression that is being acted upon these minority cultures, minority communities. Yeah, I think it comes down to like, because I wasn't thinking of like communities as like individual communities, like enacting hmm. cultures or whatever. I was thinking of like a greater community, which is probably what you refer to as a society probably is more accurate but I think a society is like can be a greater community Mm. and so I feel like the tension maybe in the story is wanting to have a more unified community but there being all these individual communities that either don't want to be involved in that or just don't see themselves as being involved in that um and just don't feel like there's any kind of like relation or ties to like all these other communities but like there being a desire to kind of like bring it all together under Hmm. one umbrella, which I think is like ideal, like obviously retain some sort of individuality within communities and within the self, but like also to have a greater sense of like belonging within a greater group, even if that means being a part of like different groups. So it seems like there's like, I don't know, like some tension between individual communities of like not wanting to come together to be in a greater community. Would you say that like the marginalization of some of those communities, like is there biggest obstacle from them all coming together to form like a greater community or like what what do you see as their obstacles that are I mean I think that could be one I think it could be just like complicated I think it's easier maybe to like to find a sense of like unity and common ground in like a smaller group whereas like if it's like race like oh like all all of these people that look the same or find it easier to like to band together than to like come all together in in one group, which I guess Carl Esterhaus wanted to like rule it all. He was like, I can bring everyone together by tearing them all apart first <laughs> and then bringing everyone together. Cause it's like his goal was to have like an overall sense of unity. Yeah. We went about it obviously all wrong, but because like there are some obstacles, I think, I think yes, that can be one obstacle that can keep people from wanting to like be in a greater community. Yeah, Yeah, I think he ignores the because I I thought it was interesting that Orpheus, he connects freedom and identity together because he treats community. That's a separate question, cultures, but then freedom and identity. and, And I thought that was really interesting. But I always feel like there's an identity within the community, but then we also should strive to have our own individual identity yeah. no we shouldn't be beholden to to everything we need to be individuals and so i think one of esther house's issues is that he wants everyone to have this 
one singular identity and be a part of yeah. Gotham City, I suppose, but he ignores the, the rest that is there. And not everyone can actually, they don't have the same circumstances as you. They've not grown up the same. So that's just impossible. You're ignoring the individual identity as well. Yeah. So, yeah. I was going to take it really deep. <laughs> not that Do deep. It. But like, it's not that deep. But like, I think that is, I was going to say with our city, but I, for a greater example, I think that's the thing with like, I don't know, this can be too much. I think with our country, and I'll, I'll be sort of vague, I think people- You can be as non-vague as, we're, we're about to get in some, into some political things. So as long mm-hmm. as you don't do any ad hominem attacks and are, are vicious towards specific people- Oh, no, I won't be. Yeah, so you're, um, you're fine. You can say what you would like. I think sometimes people, especially after like a sense of like, like some like traumatic event, which- I think you'll probably bring that up in relation to this later, but like people want to like come together and they're like, let's just all be this. And so with our country, whether or not there's been a traumatic event, people are like, we're all Americans. And that's like a narrative that you hear a lot. And it's like, well, yes, but there are also like individual communities and individual people who like not everyone here struggles in the same way. And we can't, it's not all just like, let's hold hands and sing kumbaya and everything's fine. Like we need to address the individual issues, whether that's like on the personal level. Mm-hmm. I mean, in the, in the context of like our country, not necessarily on like the individual level, but like on like the individual community level. And like, you know, it's hard to come all together when you have people who don't feel like they're a part of that group or people who, can't really be a part of that group. And so, like you said, with Carl Esterhaus, he wants everyone just to, let's just all be Gotham City while ignoring that, like, there are kind of, like, individual needs within every individual community in Gotham City. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was, as you were talking, I was just thinking about how sometimes communities can be in conflict with each other. Just, like, I could be a member of multiple different communities, and then perhaps one of the ones that I'm with might be in conflict with the other. And so that's oh, yeah. a struggle, like to figure out what do I do there? How yeah. Do I, how do I act? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Well, we'll I think we'll move on. I just felt like, man, what an opening, honestly, to have that as the opening with, with Orpheus, what is the community and, and going through. So that's why I think I said it was slow, but it was also just... I expect, you know, comics to get right in there. And so to yeah. be so thought provoking, I think was one of the reasons why, wow, you've got to sit with this. So I was yeah. right out of the gate. <laughs> Absolutely. So next one, we're, we're still on the tough questions here. I asked, is this a timeless story? Does it hold more true now? Would it cause controversy now? Mm-hmm. And I had a note for myself and I didn't do it. So as you're talking, I might ask people who know. But yeah, so obvi- I mean, that I guess is vague, but we're, we're talking, uh, there are some race relations that are troubling. Of course, there's some police violence against police. There's police violence towards unarmed individuals because there are riots. Mm. Um, there's a lot of stuff that is packed in here. And this came out in 2001. And mm-hmm. I unfortunately went on Wikipedia and looked up police shootings against individuals. Like, And I was looking at this. That was that was a depressing day. Yeah. Um, but I was looking at all of the, the shootings and things. So it's not a new thing, uh, unfortunately. Um, right. We, yeah. So, um, but 2001, we're in 2020. It seems like I could have just pulled this story here now. Do you agree? I Yeah, I think yeah. so. I think, yeah, I don't know. I feel like it doesn't necessarily, I, feel, I like that, even though it's depressing that you 
looked up like those things because like while I couldn't think of like any exact examples of like police brutality or anything like that from that year I was like this isn't this a lot of people I think are under the impression they're like this just started this year or like it's yeah you know oh like this stuff is more prevalent now so if you brought this up now like it, it it fits more but that's not true like this has always been happening and was happening then I mean the only example I could think of but it was still 10 years before this was Rodney King which was in LA and that was in 1991 mm-hmm. um but I mean still that you know this has been happening so I think it was relevant then and is just as relevant now probably I wonder I thought maybe even like less so because it felt almost like mild like sort of like the ways they're talking about it and I, I don't know, sort of the way it felt, like I think you said, felt a little bit more like novel, like mm-hmm. for that time. And I feel like now it's really like, yep, yep, this, <laughs> this is this, what happens. This, happens. this has been happening. Do you have anything to add? I think just like the the house central racial tension and oppression towards people of color and minorities ha- has been in our media as of late. I think it's, yeah, just reading this comic, it's like, yeah, this this happens and this is an unfortunate thing. It's it's almost it's become sort of a norm of our society, which is really sad and unfortunate. But yeah, I think that there is a much greater emphasis of these stories, especially in the age of technology that we're in, we're able to kind of capture these moments. Yeah. It does resonate, but at the same time, it's it's not that far-fetched. It's not that crazy. It's not. No, uh, I just asked Donovan because he would be the the guy to know whether it caused controversy back then. And he said, mm-hmm. I don't think so. It kind of came and went, although Orpheus hung around. He hung around until War Games, even though he doesn't do much there. <laughs> I I was actually shocked that it started off with cop killings. Right. Because going in, I thought, oh, this is this is going to be interesting if they if they start off with cops killing black men. But cop and then I thought, again, this is 2001. But in 2016, where we had it was in Dallas, wasn't it? The the officers that were killed uh, by a black man because he was angry about the police killing. So then there's that whole thing, too, where if you pulled it up here, wow, it's really it's still resonating, which is troubling. You don't want a story 19 years ago go to still be you know i you know to a certain extent you do want comic books to be timeless but not this type of comic not in book. this way yeah <laughs> not no not in this way this and so the kind of thing where it's good if the comic was dating itself i'm like oh remember yeah. way back when when there was all that violence against against well, black people i feel like in some ways it does date itself because it's almost talks about it as if it were novel so it's even mm. worse because it's like not only is it so relevant Things are probably worse yeah. or just as bad maybe because because of the age of technology and I don't know, we just see things on a bigger screen, I guess. Like, I don't know, it's, things are more widely cir- circulated. But yeah, that's what I was kind of thinking. I was like, it almost feels like it would have been novel then and it's like less than that now because things are just as bad, if not worse. Yeah. Uh, Absolutely. And and I think people, I mean, I'm hoping, I'm speaking for myself, but are becoming more educated to yeah. the problems of society and the the, the struggles and, and also the triumphs of, of different members of, of any community. And yeah. so, like I said, in 2010, if I had read this, in 2001, if I had read this being, what, a freshman in high school or something, <laughs> I would have been like, well, this is an interesting story, but this really has nothing to do with me. I don't understand any of the social, political context or, yes. at all. Yep. 
So I would almost say this is like might be required reading for people who Mm. are interested in comics and also interested in social (laughs) and human justice issues. Would you agree or do you feel like eh, we're still not getting to it? I think it provides a good foundation for starting to explore those topics, especially in pop culture. But I I think it's helpful. It was amusing. I don't want want to say amusing. It was interesting reading kind of Batman's dialogue with Dick, Mm -hmm. uh, with uh, Nightwing later on hearing kind of him confronting those things within himself. But again, sort of speaking to it from almost kind of a novel place. Um, But I do think that it is important. I think it does provide a good, like, jumping off point for diving into this further. Yeah. And also I think, I think Stella, you said like people are, are more educated now. And that was something else I thought of was like, in that it's like, I guess, I guess it speaks to its timelessness or like maybe lack thereof because no, I think I said lack thereof because like their conversation about like representation and like, you know, Batman saying like, we don't need any more superhero vigilantes, whatever. And yeah. And I know that was a question that you were going to talk about later, but, um, and Orcas is like, you don't represent everyone. Like people want to see people, people need to see someone that represents them. And I feel like now, like maybe I'm just like biased. Maybe I just know more people that I have these conversations with, but I feel like now people see the importance of representation. And so Batman was like, I mean, like Orpheus had to like school him be like, dude, like <laughs> you're not the only, you can't be the only one. Like it's not all about you. And I think people now would be like, that's common sense, <laughs> but maybe not, not everyone. I know that not everyone would, but it just, yeah, I think maybe back then it was like, Oh yeah, like that, that would be good. And now it's like, of course we need more. Representation. <laughs> yeah. Batman is like, yeah. there are already superheroes of color. What are you talking about? I know. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we can absolutely, yeah, we can skip to that question there since you uh, you led yeah. into it. Yeah, it's really interesting. There are, yeah, already heroes of color. I appreciate <laughs> We got that. enough so, of them. <laughs> they may see heroes, humans, and aliens, but they don't see themselves. And And when I was reading that, I was thinking, and I've been like deep diving into Black history, history of racist ideas, relationships between black women and white women, like all this stuff has really been percolating. And I was thinking like about dolls, about white dolls and how way back, you know, that was it. That was all they could get. And children of color couldn't really have someone, you know, a doll that looked like them. So I was just thinking like, gosh, this this is still kind of happening here. And I wondered if it was not only a Batman is a, a white privileged male. Let's be honest there. So I think he, Orpheus is absolutely schooling him on things that he doesn't understand. I think Batman is almost representing the audience as a whole, mm-hmm. like people who don't understand this. And then Orpheus is, is coming and speaking to the people who don't under. Yeah. But do you feel like it's also maybe a critique of DC comics? So I wondered if there is not only an internal actual, Hey, this real stuff is happening, but outside, like, hey, DC Comics, you need to wake up and have better representation. Did you get any sense of that at all? Do you think that's me reading in to it? Uh, I mean, I, I'm not super familiar with DC Comics, but yes. I just feel like you wouldn't include a line like that and not be a commentary on, like, I mean, because he's talking about, like, oh, we already have enough. I mean, he doesn't say that exactly, but that's pretty much what he means. We have enough superheroes of color, but like that's within their world. But DC Comics is their world. Like, so that's basically speaking to the creators and saying that like, you need to make more. And there's, there's not just thinking it's too many or enough. 
So yes, I, I, I would say definitely. It almost sounded a little meta when he said that, like, we already have, look, look on any shelf in any comic book right. store. There's, exactly. there's so many, like, there's not even that many. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, it, I do think it's important um, and pretty progressive, honestly, for 2001 that we have a beloved character like Batman asking these hard questions and being kind of in a place of needing to be schooled by Orpheus and kind of confront these issues. I do yeah. think that that is a good thing and an important thing. And, you know, it has to happen at some point in history. We can read this now in 2021 and be like, duh, Batman. Like, of course, right. there need to be more superheroes of color. Yeah. But yeah, I think that it is significant and important. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I was reading into it as much as um, a critique on DC Comics again, because I don't have a huge exposure to them. But I mean, there can always be more more representation. Absolutely. Um, and so in that way, I do think that it can be read as a critique. Yeah. And I think even though Batman says there are already heroes of color and, and Orpheus says they don't see themselves, I think even though we are clearly talking about uh, people of color here, I think we could broaden it to say um, not only black, but, you know, Hispanic, because you only have Renee Montoya in here. Queer characters were in 2001, really wouldn't have many at all. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, more females, of course. So, and if we step back, I mean, yeah, we've got a, a black writer, black artist, but not many female writers, people of color that are writers, not many. So I think there there could be some more uh, critique there. Absolutely. Yeah. But I do like that Batman says, you know, you believe you can only represent your people to that even though he is a privileged white male, he does fight for everyone. Mm-hmm. So I do appreciate that about Batman. But that whole conversation I thought was really important to have. Yeah, for sure. Uh, just a point that I had since I'm on this particular issue is actually connects back to something Shai said about the cover. I'm pretty sure it was the co- this one, right? The smoking gun. So at the yeah. end of issue two, he says, Batman says something along the lines of step back from the body killer. I don't know if you remember that, but yeah. then at the and oh, there's that guy you were talking about. That's what I'm saying. It keeps <laughs> popping up. Like, how many times are we going to see this dead man with his head hanging back in the goatee? And it was so. Oh my gosh. Sometimes it has blonde hair and sometimes it has dark hair. Like, I don't know. It looks like Oliver Queen. It's like the same guy, except his eyes are yeah, cut in this one. But yeah. then this one, he says, Orpheus says, I didn't kill him. And then Batman says, I never said you did. <laughs> but he just called him killer in the previous issue. Man, yeah. inconsistencies. They always get me. You know, that early 2000s uh, lingo. He's like, yeah, uh, I guess. boy killer. Maybe that's how um, I mean. Okay. Do we want to talk about colorism now or wait until later? I don't have a preference. <laughs> <laughs> I need to find a good image. So... I've told my audiences already, I felt like I was shouting, I've told my audiences already that I have become interested, well, I could use this issue, interested in this idea of colorism and investigating it more in terms of comics, because I think that there, because I think there might be something there. Orpheus is, I think, hands down, the darkest colored, and there are actually several people of color in this comic, but he is the darkest colored of all of them. And I just want to investigate if there's colorism going on. Is there any authorial? So if we're looking just at his skin tone, it's pretty dark. 
And again, I have no problem with that. But I'm looking at every other character. This is here. We got uh, Christmas Allen right here, and several shades lighter. And if I look at Renee, Renee is Hispanic, and she looks Caucasian. And Besides even, the hair, she, yeah, she does. Yeah, you, yeah. Aikens. Uh, I don't think I can find Aikens in this. Oh well, maybe I. So I just don't know if every other character is a lighter black tone and we've got this one main character who is really dark is anything being said could this be colorism within this comic and we have an artist i mean the colorist is that, was is something that just I was me wondering i was wondering is the was the colorist black or was the colorist a person of color? i'd have to yeah i can research as you're talking but uh, i think that's interesting i don't know just if we as as i look this up I guess my question would be, do you think anything is being said in that, that he is just, and, and that's what I was saying about issue number five, where he looks like a villain and he's sort of, mm-hmm. I don't know, like a caricature of a villain, like, oh, you know, the stereotype of a, a dark black man, you should be scared of that. Like, that's troubling to me. So I just wonder if that's just me looking at things now that I'm, I'm really looking closely at skin tones and, and, and comics, or do you feel like you noticed anything was strange? I didn't notice anything like strange. I guess if I were to think about it, uh, the only thing I could think is like maybe there was a point. Maybe there were they were trying to create some like tension and maybe like push back against the idea of, of like black people, especially darker skinned black people, are dangerous. No like, jokes on you. This darker skinned black guy is a hero, and so maybe that's what it was. But also like I don't know. I noticed a lot of times when creators like whether it be TV, movies, books, or whatever create characters of color especially black people like I feel like they almost always tend to be like more lighter skin I notice this all the time I'm watching tv I'm like they'll have like the two parents or whatever and they'll have the child I'm like that child literally does not look like them the actress themselves is biracial like they are not like like they're, they're not showcasing darker skin people and they usually don't like it's rare that you see like a, a darker skinned First, even like like the hate you give, like on the book cover, the girl is much darker than mm-hmm. Amanda Stenberg, who, I mean, who's medium toned. I don't know. Like I, they just don't put these people in the forefront. And so maybe there, there was some like idea of like wanting to do that with this and like we're like trying to make a point to make him darker skinned to put darker skinned people on the forefront, which would be interesting because I mean, from being in 2001, because that people still don't do that now. Mm. And so that would be like a really interesting like thing if that was their goal. Um, that's the only thing I could think of. Like, yeah, maybe it was just an intentional decision to be like, we're going to make this a darker skin character and not just like, oh, well, we're going to have a black character and let's just make them lighter or more medium tone because that's just more palatable. Maybe they were like, we're not going to, we're specifically not going to do that. I think I can appreciate like the range of colors that are represented in the comics. That's just kind of a, a standalone thought. I'll leave that there. I think that for me, like, and that was kind of what I was interested in with the colorist is like, I wonder if there are like notes from the writer or something to the colorist of like, you know, it's important that we represent, you know, this character and this is his or her skin tone. I will say as we were reading through the comics, like, and this wasn't just with the coloration, but also with like, just the art in general and the depiction of human faces, there were points where it got really confusing to try to discern which character was which. Yeah. Um, 
And I felt like that was a disservice to these, especially to the minority characters. Again, that's neither here nor there. But that's just something that I kind of honed in on as we were reading. But yeah, I don't think I took any sort of sub subtext from the fact that Orpheus himself was the darkest toned character. So I couldn't find anything on whenever I researched uh, Shannon Blanchard. It just was all of her work. So I couldn't find <laughs> it. My and I want to be clear that I love all tones and I really want to see more dark, dark, dark because I agree with you, Shy, that media, yeah, I think it is because people find it more palatable, I don't know, closer to white. And so they they err on the side of light rather than dark. So yeah. I'm going to, one of my goals is like, look at this, huzzah, mm-hmm. you know? My <laughs> issue is he is the only one. Yeah. So I have no problem with him being that darkly colored, but because he's the only one, it's mm-hmm. like, what's going on? I think there would be more people that have that same skin tone in Gotham City. Why are you just giving it to one person? I can't remember if this is a conversation that we had in our class that we took together in college or just on our own. But I think at some point we discussed how there can be more pressure and please correct me if I'm wrong. There can be more pressure for people of color to align with the perceptions of blackness. If their skin tone, like the darker their skin tone. I can't remember. Probably. I feel but like there probably is some like study on that. Yeah. Like preconceived notions and like living up mm. to those preconceived notions because like the darker you are, the blank you are. And so like, Maybe. Well, and I, sort of the place I was going with that was like the in when Orpheus is kind of doing his backstory, he's talking about how he was like bullied as kind of someone that is artistic in dancing and music and sort of a juxtaposition of like, was he bullied for his kind of these things that he was interested in and his kind of career choices, but then also the fact that he was a man with dark skin. Um, I thought that was an interesting juxtaposition. Um, and yeah, and sort of, well, never mind. I'll save that for later. I don't know. These are, so. this is kind of like turning into some stream of consciousness, but, um, just some sort of reflections I was having as we were reading. Yeah, no. And, and I think it, it certainly does. I mean, Shai, you, you said this and then you hopped on it, but I think it was a really good point that I think, Stereotypically, at least what I have read that the darkers, yeah, someone is, uh, they must be uneducated. They must be some sort of brute. That They must be violent. And so actually, we've got this highly educated man who was a dancer, an artist, and he's a hero. So I think there might be something in there as, as sort of thumbing their nose at what white audiences or, or audiences yeah. in general might stereotypically think of someone like Orpheus. So I think that's actually a really good point. I think my only problem is just that there's not more of a variety of skin colors because yeah. it just seems like there's Orpheus, there's the white characters, yeah. and then there's just like this middling. And and I just feel like the world is such a beautiful place with all this variety right. of skin colors. Why isn't it shown here? Especially because you're really focusing, I think, a lot on the different communities and race mm-hmm. in this story. So you have an opportunity, and I think that it falls through their hands. Yeah, and honestly, with that, like, I honestly have no idea. I mean, I wonder if it could be something as simple as like the artwork itself and like the logistics surrounding that, and like making darker. I don't know. Like, I have no idea what it would be like to like maybe. It, 
I don't know. I don't know. Something to do with like printing them or just mm. like the visibility of it, mm. of like having more darker skinned characters. And they're like, all right, you can only afford one. Maybe. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that was what mm. it was. And they're like, okay, well, it's important for us to make this main character the darker skin. There's one other. Okay. I'm on, where, where is this? I'm just like scrolling through and I was seeing sure. what you were talking about. Yeah. But when he confronts Sly, right? Sly, and this is in, is this a number four? And I think it's page eight. I think this is number four. He is almost his complexion. Like when they're like face to face, they, they're, yeah, they look, they're like, they're about the same complexion. However, I get what you mean. Like also when we see Orpheus, like, like even though there's a lot of variation and like when you like the different like drawings of people, like he shows up darker. Like there are images of Orpheus where he's even darker than he is here, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. But I was just like scrolling through and I saw the like, well, Sly is, about as as dark yeah. as he is in, in these frames specifically and i don't know if that was intentional or if that's just like a lack of like consistency with the coloring mm. all that to say i'm just speculating maybe <laughs> as are we all yeah yeah maybe they're just like you know it's 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 a lot more work it's a lot more whatever logistics to make him to make darker colored <laughs> characters so we're like oh we'll do like more medium toned and like semi-dark people but like Orpheus is like the main one that we want to be like the darkest so yeah Stella if you flip to the page right before that where it's showing kind of or I'm sorry maybe it's one before that as well what are you uh maybe not what do you look the for? the montage where he was like doing some of his dancing oh, yeah, and yeah. Training, like lighter there. he's lighter there I yeah and I think just it's important to be consistent as well sure with things such as as colorism being a thing in comics of like we're going to really focus on making this person's skin color meaningful and speaking to their character. It's a little strange to see him go from and see to see different characters throughout this comic, not only change completely in what their faces look like, but also <laughs> he's a lot lighter here and he was a lot darker in yeah. the, the page before. And there are other pages where he's a lot darker than that. Yeah, there are pages where he's, I'm like, oh, yeah, they drew him very dark for this one. Yeah. And I don't think light does it because, you know, I'm sure. No, no, be like, no. Oh, he's in the broad daylight, so of course like, he'd be lighter. Shade. Like, <laughs> that doesn't happen so to Batman. Batman is the same no. peachy color all the time. Even when he's like literally in the shadows, unless it's complete and utter darkness and then the whole panel is just black with yeah. like white slits for his eyes. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Okay. Well, I'll continue investigating my, at one point I was talking to Donovan about this and he said, you know, I wouldn't bring up Renee Montoya because people would wonder why you hadn't said this before. And I said, Donovan, the reason why I haven't talked about colorism before is because I'm just understanding and uh, knowing about colorism. So that's why this is kind of my journey of like, oh, what's happening here? But it's been there. It's problematic. Okay, well, we'll move on. We still have more tough questions to get to. Actually, we're getting to easier one. That was, might have been the toughest one. I don't know. Let's talk about his privileged life. I, this is good that we're on this particular page where he talks about his history. There's the bullying, I think, that you were talking about. So more or less, he has lived a privileged life, I think, then and now. He was able to travel around. His parents seem well-to-do. He's well-to-do because he can afford 
the technology and everything that he has. Do you think something is lost putting in him in the high echelon of society? And I'm not saying just throw him down in there. Or, or is this a way to avoid stereotypes like we were talking about before? And it's just interesting to think about the Russian. I don't know if it's the same Rasputin. He, his family history just shows a lot of struggle. So you've got this uh, white character going through struggle and then uh, this black character that has been raised rather pr- privileged. But he is, it seems like, uh, separated from and, and in that conversation with Sly, I think he gets to that, his people, as they say. Mm. Is, is something lost that he's not maybe not low class, but just like not rich and above everyone else? Or do you think, again, is this just a way to avoid stereotypes? I have two thoughts and I already forgot one of them. As far as like the relationship between like Orpheus, the character and like the audience and like how we perceive or what, what his privilege or status means to us. I wasn't, I don't know. I wasn't really thinking about it in that way. So yeah, I don't really think I, I think I had a thought on that, but that's one I forgot. But the way I was kind of thinking of it was like how Orpheus relates to other people like Sly and like, you know, his people. Mm -hmm. And I think unfortunately, because he's not, because this is sort of like a, like a glimpse into like his beginnings and we don't really ever see him more, like not out, like outside of this storyline, I feel like it could potentially like cause some like tension or like distance between like, if he is like, you know, if like the black community in Gotham city, and this is, I don't really know this to be true, but this is just what I'm speculating, which I think it's probably true. Um, If the black community is like, you know, considered more poor or, I don't think people use the term less fortunate anymore, but if we're, uh, whatever, you know, on that end of the spectrum, they may feel some distance with him because he, he's like, oh, they could be like, oh, well, you're black, but you're not, you haven't had to struggle like we did. So I could see that happening. But like I said, I don't feel like there's really a place for that in the storyline because it's more about like this greater issue. Mm-hmm. And then I think I, I remember my other thought was sort of like, maybe it helps to show that like, despite the fact that he came from privilege and he traveled all over the world and danced, like he was not immune to, he wasn't immune to being bullied and he wasn't immune mm-hmm. to seeing like other injustices happening to people and especially people that looked like him. Um, even if he wasn't from, and he's not immune to racism himself. Like, I don't know that I don't remember any like very specific examples, like of him encountering like racism yeah, I don't know. Maybe I think that if, if there was any like intentional kind of like or any intention behind that, maybe that would be one to show that like, you know, he's a black man and he traveled the world and stuff, but he couldn't ignore or like be excused from um, injustices, which caused him to want to do something about it. I feel like I kind of like was going around in circles with that. So I hope it made sense. <laughs> no, I got it. Okay. Yeah. And I think perhaps this is not the place for it. Maybe yeah. this is a five issue miniseries. Right. And yeah. so maybe, you know, this we start off and, and maybe there are some problematic moments with the character, but that's where you take this character, you give him an ongoing series and you start to investigate yeah. how does he interact with the people of Gotham City day to day? What's his life like? How does he take this mission that he found and, and these convictions that he's come upon once he was traveling as a dancer and start to put that in his daily activity? So I, yeah, I agree with, with what you're saying. Yeah, it's like they set it up and that was like, that's like 
kind of like a pretty clear example of like they probably like they, I mean, that's like a, I don't know I was we're reading it and I was like what does this have to do with him like being a dancer and stuff and like his whole life unless we're going to see more of him and get yeah. to know him mm-hmm. and so the fact that you don't it's sort of like I don't want yeah I think it was interesting that Orpheus had to kind of I don't know if he necessarily confronted it but he was thinking about his privilege when he's having that conversation with Sly and I think yeah. Sly is like saying like are you a college boy or something like that Oh, um, no, you might, you might be right. I think that was kind of an important moment of like, there's a lot of interplay going on because like, you know, we've talked about how he is a very dark skinned black man. So there could be like less privilege there, but then he also has, you know, his education and his, I guess his parents are well to do. And there is sort of like the, the struggle to connect with his people, as he calls them, the people that he's trying to defend. So like, it was, I, I don't know. I just thought that was interesting that he was like having that kind of conversation with Batman and Batman was coming to terms with like, I can fight for all people, but I don't represent all people. But even here, Orpheus is like having to confront that even with someone who is like him, who looks like him. Yeah. Okay. Totally forgot. He, Sly calls him a Tom. Oh yeah. Which, uh, unless I'm missing something is calling him an uncle tom so totally forgot i kind of renege on what i said a little bit they do offer an example of this sort of like distance between him and the community that he wants to represent they're like you don't represent us you're you know you went to college you are rich or whatever yeah so thanks for reminding me you're welcome (laughs) which is interesting especially because uh i think as much as I guess empathy, kind of the the stepping stone between empathy and compassion is, I think, right here because I think Orpheus has empathy for sure, but compassion is like really putting himself in in Sly's feet and because I, I think he's just not there because Sly here – you know, saying then came the earthquake, the destruction. Folks were booking out of town for a while. Gotham was the hill, and the deacons mm. had their peace. Since our leader got killed in the quake, I took over. Ben, well, I guess before that, really, I, a few years back, I was nothing. Only people I had was the deacons. The man didn't care about me or community or nothing around here. So really, his gang was the only thing that that helped him out. And and I think this might be a piece that. Orpheus is is learning and, and attempting to understand as well. So there mm. seem to be different layers of like understanding and educating yeah, yeah, one yeah. another. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I wondered if if Sly were to have a conversation with uh, Commissioner Aikens, if he would call him a Tom as well. Since mm. is- oh, he'd probably call him much worse. Much Yeah. Since we're on this particular point with with Sly, I found it interesting the media here, uh, and I wondered if if you feel like this is how I actually don't watch the news very often, so I'm asking you know as someone who oh no okay well we'll see, but he talks about uh, the cataclysm is the earthquake that it's talking about, so that was another event. Um, and then, of course, the no man's land. And he says, uh, we didn't run. We stayed and made do. You know what? We needed help. The community needed help, but nobody came. Some rich white boy got lost in the city. That's Bruce Wayne. And the media is all over it, even the president, but not for us, not for none of us. So we rolled ahead to to survive. Do you feel like media slash government tension with the black community is portrayed well? And 
I don't know if there's like a different layer of black community that I could specify, but just like what he's saying, do you feel like that's portrayed well? Is that something that we could pull, pull from the comic and be like, yeah, that's still true today where some things are focused on, but not other things that are, are really needed. Uh, I feel like I've been talking first for every question that you have. In my notes, I was sort of trying to think about like the moments where we saw the tension between the government and the black community and slash minority communities. I don't know. I feel like there were scenes that seemed a little, well, interesting. There was a part where they were like rounding up. The cops were like rounding up these men. And I think that was realistic. I think it's something that we've seen. I don't watch the news a lot either. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that's something that I've seen in pictures and in videos of like these kind of like, you know, you see people filming in the streets and you see, I mean, George Floyd is a horrible example of that, which was worse than what we see in this comic. But these kind of realistic images of this like kind of oppression from law enforcement and government, and then more like of a suggestion, like in in Sly's dialogue, a, a kind of suggestion of how the government wasn't there for them and, and things like that. I think there was a scene with where the deacons and the cops, I think it was the cops. I don't think it was the Russians, but the deacons and the cops were having this like full on like shootout. Oh yeah. Um, and I think when I was like reading that, I was like, I don't think this is as realistic. I think this is a little more, uh, a little more dramatic in a visual sense, but yeah, I don't know. I don't watch the news. a ton. <laughs> Um, Three people who don't watch the news talking about the media. I listen. I listen to the news more than I watch. The you news. listen to NPR, so it depends okay. on what you talk to. Some people be yeah. like, "That's not news. That's propaganda." <laughs> so. That is, yeah, that is true. Though my mom feels like that. That is the most trustworthy source. Really? That's good. I think it is a very trustworthy. There's yeah. There's like a bias chart where NPR is kind of like it's like in the middle, skews a tiny bit left, and it's like up there at the top of like the more reliability. Yeah. Yeah. Let me plug NPR for, <laughs> Not a thing for NPR. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. I don't, I, I don't have a ton of fleshed out That's thoughts fine. about that. I think That's it was just fine. something I was reflecting on, but yeah, I think like, in, especially in regards to like what Sly was saying, like, you know, well, when the meat, like when a, whatever white boy went missing, the media focused on that and they don't care about us. I like, I don't watch the news either. Like I said, but I read things, you know, you see articles and stuff. You, you always hear about stuff. Yeah. And I think that's true. A lot of times I, I do think there often is more like focus on kind of like the majority population and issues that affect the majority population. And, you know, I, a lot of times, like, I can't remember when this was happening or if it's just always happening, but like, you know, people on Twitter and stuff are talking about this people I follow on Twitter and they're like, you know, media doesn't talk about that. Like several young black girls were going missing some years ago and like that stuff doesn't make it. And like, there's a lot that doesn't make it in the news. Like they choose what's, what's going to be like what they're going to focus on. And so on one hand, while I feel like in general, they focus on the majority population, I think, and I'm also not one to like demonize the media. Like I think the media has its flaws and I think, yeah, I don't want to, I feel like sometimes people are like the media, but the media says this. I'm like, that's just the truth. I don't know what, how else you want to spin it. But like, I do feel like at its core, the media is self-serving and they're going to want to like publish or talk about issues that are going to get them more attention. And so when things like things are happening, like George Floyd, you know, they're going to focus more on those things, even though 
I think we'd probably all be surprised at how often people and black people, especially, well, just like people are like, you know, are brutalized by the cops or, you know, how many times these things happen. It's like, you don't always hear about them. And it's like one, it takes one issue to kind of like blow up. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, the media is focusing on Black Lives Matter and on, you know, police shootings and stuff. And people are like, oh, well, this is just totally like out of place. But then once it all dies down, they're going to, they go back to highlighting whatever they've always, whatever they choose to highlight. So I think, I think it's accurate. I think yeah. the comment that Sly was saying is accurate for the, for the most part. Yeah, I would agree. I was also thinking as you guys were talking about just the Capitol riots. I was and thinking I remember about that. Yeah. As that was going on, you know, several friends on Instagram had a quote from somebody or maybe they were making the quote, I don't know, but basically that, you know, if this were a bunch of black people, mm-hmm. yeah. they'd be called what? What are they what are they called? I can't oh, remember what the, the former president even. used to say, but if thugs, they would be called yeah. thugs and there'd be like way more violence and all of that. I'm like, yeah, that's actually accurate. Yeah. But I agree that there are, I think there are people that are not talked about a lot in the media. You know, if, yes. if, a, if a sex worker gets killed, that is probably, or kidnapped, that's not going to make the media, things like that. Even though every life I think is precious and deserves some sort of coverage and yes. injustice for whatever happens mm-hmm. then. So I, yeah, I agree with you guys. There was a funny bubble that I wanted just as a little break. With we saw that in your notes and we were it. trying to find it. Oh, it we should be in the beginning. He was in the alley. Here it is. <laughs> it's page eight. <laughs> okay, so Batman, he's in his little car. He says on screen, open comlink, Hermes Beta 7, Oracle, I have a job for you. And the next bubble is an icicle bubble. <laughs> and it says, I live to serve. And anytime you see an icicle <laughs> bubble, I don't know if this is the first time you've ever seen this, but it's basically like, I mean, that's not a pleasant reaction. Like, it's clearly sarcastic. She's annoyed at him. That's kind of thing. <laughs> She's that's so funny. cold. It's literally icy. Yeah. So well, it ha- was throwing some major shade throughout the entire book, <laughs> I thought. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I think uh, he deserves it all the time. I think the first ones I've seen were old, old Spider-Man, like recent ones, whenever two women were talking and, and one was a girlfriend of Peter and another one would walk up, she'd be, she would have like her icicle bubbles. Especially <laughs> Eddie Brand had all the icicle or bubbles. But I just <laughs> thought I would bring that up. Okay, so we're, I think, winding down. So I want to talk about Orpheus specifically. I mean, this this is comic. And I said, let's parse through his name. Does it hold up? Uh, Does it imply that he is destined to fall? Are you aware of the Orpheus mythology? We had to look it up. Well, I knew. Yeah, I knew. Yeah. You were a little. I had a refresher. I knew the basics. I forgot some of the, like, the character names and the, the circumstances of Oh, you have much better notes to take, but you can take this one. Yeah. And just for people, would you like to explain who Orpheus is to the people at home? Yeah, Orpheus was a mortal who was trained in the arts of music and such by the god Apollo. And his wife, Eurydice? Yep. Okay. Uh, He had his wife, Eurydice, and she was fleeing from a satyr who was attempting to molest her. Uh, And she falls into a den of vipers, and they bite her and kill her. So she goes to the underworld. And so, of course, Orpheus, with his, like, incredible musical ability, is playing these, like, really sad songs. And the gods are, like, weeping because they're so moved by his 
by his music. And so they're like, hey, you can go to the underworld and fetch her. So he goes down to the underworld and he chats with Hades and he's like, I want my woman back. And he's playing his music down there and they're moved. So they're like, okay, you can have her back. Just don't look back behind you until you're out. And so, of course, like he's has her by the hand or whatever. They're going up the long tunnels back to the surface. And at one moment, he looks back to make sure she's behind him. And then she retreats back into the underworld. She's lost forever. And he lives the rest of his life in regret, I would assume. I think <laughs> I was looking it up and I think he's like, one time he's like nearby like a temple of Dionysus and he's like worshiping Apollo. And so so these like followers of Dionysus come out and kill him basically because they're like, you're a betrayer to Yeah, he doesn't unfortunately uh, live too long. The one thing, the the main takeaway from all of that is whenever I think of the character of Orpheus, like remembering back to like Latin classes and stuff, I just think of the word regret. (laughs) Like this is just a really bad, regretful situation. And I just don't like how that bodes for this new character that we have here. Yeah. And I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't talk about it too much. The the only thing is right here, your Orpheus and trips to hell are what, you do, aren't they? But I just wonder how much does that, is it just a name? It's just a name. It, it really means nothing. Or does it have some sort of significance? You know, what would be the Eurydice in mm. this, in this sense? I mean, if Eurydice is Gotham City, then it doesn't bode well, because that means that, you know, you're trying to protect it. And then it, it slips through your grasp. Or is it just, yeah. there's nothing to it? I mean, what do, what do you guys think? Does it hold up to mythology? Well, I, I also wondered, like, if this character had gotten his own run and had been given time to be more fleshed out, would we have seen more, not collaborations, more, I guess, more similarities between this character and the mythological character? Mm. And, and would that have justified naming him Orpheus more? Because I think I was like looking out for it throughout the story. And I was like, other than the fact that he is invested in the arts, I don't see a lot of similarities here. And it does make you wonder what the potential could have been if they had fleshed this out more. I don't think I have much to add. Yeah, I think like you said, if they had fleshed it out more, then it would, I don't know, like a big, I don't know, a name like Orcus, it just sounds like, like, I don't know, somebody important. And whether that means somebody who at the end of it all saves the day or, or tries to and ends up failing has some sort of like fatal flaw, but they didn't, they didn't do enough to, to kind of flesh that out. So it's like he doesn't live up to like what his name implies, mm-hmm. whether that means he, he fails or not. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like Morpheus from the movie. Sure. A powerful, does, yeah. slightly enigmatic character. Yeah. Yeah. And like you said, Stella, like there are moments where it's kind of a callback, like the hell thing and mm-hmm. like, oh yeah, Orpheus in the mythology. But like, I wonder what percentage of the people reading this comic are also familiar with the, with the Greek mythology. Yeah. And would be able to kind of like catch that little Easter egg. Yeah. Um, it seemed to me more contrived than anything else, but I wonder if you like were able to find anything else about like this in future stories or anything like that. Oh, in future stories. No, or I'd, just I'd have one. to look at war games, I guess, but I'm not there yet. So I, I, I suppose I'll get back to you, but they have that similarity or connection that they're both artists. He's mm-hmm. a dancer and, and, 
the Orpheus, the original, the OG Orpheus is a musician. So there's that connection. But then he also has that love interest that comes back to him. So that does that. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Oh yeah. So I don't know. You know, Oracle, Barbara Gordon. What'd you say? I said shy when we were doing our reading of this aloud. I she read for the character of Andrea, and it was nothing short of interesting. <gasps> okay, I'm gonna have to find some panels that we can um. <laughs> do do a dramatic reading of. Oh my gosh. Um, but that's, yeah, there were never really any moments where she, and I wonder if she pops up in future comics, but she wasn't really acting as like a foil for him in that way. She just seemed like a, a woman, a, a love interest. I, I think the most, I think that was a really good thing that you said about Gotham being his Eurydice. I think that's, that adds a depth to it that I wasn't thinking of, but like, yeah, just the cause that he's fighting for. Yeah. Or Barbara Gordon's the one who I think is, is the main person who brings in the mythology and actually uses it. Oracle, of course, and then Cassandra being the connection to Cassandra of Troy. So too bad she didn't name Orpheus and had some sort of purpose, but he came up with his own name. Yeah. Do you feel like Orpheus is a compelling character? And if you were to guess, we're speculating, as Shai has said, of <laughs> many things. Speculating has been your favorite word, I think, in this episode. <laughs> why do you, if we were to speculate, why do you think he wasn't used much after this? I definitely think he has the potential to be a compelling character. But I think there's a lot of setup here for his goals and whatever secret society group that he's a part of that trained him or whatever, that kind of sent him out to do what he does and his history and how that plays into who he is. Like all the technological stuff, like there's like no backstory for that. Like Mm -hmm. he didn't say like, he's like a tech whiz or anything or that he has, I don't know, like that was cool. And there, there just really wasn't Mm -hmm. anything about it. And then, there's a little bit of like, oh yeah, I did kung fu and I and I did um and I danced, so I'm super agile and whatever. And like that was cool, but like I don't know, like so I think they, there's a lot of setup. I guess they don't really use going forward. And why was he not? I don't know. Maybe it just wasn't received well. Maybe it was like a little experiment, and they're like, let's let's try this out. Despite the fact that they like totally do a, a meta analysis of DC comics and be like, yeah, we need more characters of color. And then they're like, okay, we'll try it out. But like that didn't work for us. So, yeah, I don't know. Maybe something with, like, I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised if he just kind of fell to the wayside and there wasn't, like, a real push for his stories to go on longer, if that makes sense. Yeah. I I, I wouldn't be surprised if if that's what it was. Just, like, yeah, I mean, like, people people aren't really interested or he's just not that important, especially being a new character. But then again, I don't know. I don't know how often they introduce new characters or people just, like, you know, Batman's Batman and people like I don't know all, all the popular DC comic characters yeah. that they're just like stick with the ones that are already established or if there are others who are introduced around this time that became more successful and more and people got more interested in so yeah I think that Orpheus I think his origin as we're calling it is slightly derivative I think mm-hmm. it's something we've seen before of like you know this this character who has these resources. I mean, it's similar to Batman, similar to Batman. He has these resources. He has this kind of a dark side of the bullying that he went through. Not nearly as bad as having your parents shot in front of you. That's right. In an alleyway after they went to the movies. I'm good. Yeah. Well, sort of Tony Stark. I need to give you 
or lend you, you can take it some Batman films. Or maybe that's our next uh, Friday. Uh, that could Friday be. Hangouts. Yeah, it might be. Yeah. Continue. Um, Sorry to interrupt. No, no, no worries. Uh, yeah, just, I don't know. I think in terms of kind of this opening story, I think at times it can be a little bit derivative, but it's also interesting. I, I like the dialogue. I like hearing the point of view of this, you know, minority character who we don't hear a ton of minority voices in comics especially in this time period, I think that there are ways that he is compelling in this comic. I will say, I think it's very hard to argue that there is nothing worthwhile about a character or nothing compelling about a character, because I think with the right writer and the right backing, any character can have an interesting and compelling story arc. I think the fact that Orpheus was killed off uh, pretty soon after his debut is really unfortunate. And I think the good thing about comics is that people come back from the dead all the time. I would be very interested to see, like, I think that I'm all, I'm a big fan of not creating new material when there's perfectly good old material that hasn't been used in all different kinds of media. But here, I think like we have this perfectly good character that has kind of some things going on and and some things to add to the conversation. And I think I'm, you know, again, like I'm not an active DC comics reader here and now, but I would be interested to see, like, especially having a dialogue about things that we're having, that we're witnessing in 2020, 2021. Mm -hmm. I think it'd be really interesting to see if like they found a way to resurrect this character and pull from his origins. I think that would be really interesting. I think with the right writing team and with backing from DC Comics. I think it could be done really well. Yeah. Um, I just think it's unfortunate that he was taken from us so soon. Yeah, and now might be the time for him. And he's one of the yeah. few characters, well, I shouldn't say one of the few, but it's nice that he wasn't called Black Orpheus because, you know, we had people like Black Lightning and Black Panther and Black Mass. So it's interesting. It's Black nice Mariah and Luke Cage. Yeah, see? There's I didn't some... even realize that was her name. And I looked up and I was like, why do they call her Black Mariah? <laughs> yeah. No, it it could be. So I was looking up sales as you were talking. Uh, this was for issue four. It sold 22,451. Just to compare, Batman that same month sold 43, over 43,000. Like some of the top, like uh, Uncanny X-Men, which was the second seller for that month, sold 134. So it's kind of low at 22 to compare to that. So it could be, I mean, honestly, a lot of stuff is about sales. So that, that could be mm-hmm. why. Is he compelling? I think so. I mean, look at all these questions that I came up with to talk uh-huh. about him. I think he is a good character and a good way to educate people and to do it uh, almost surreptitiously, to not be in your face because, you know, people get upset when you're in your face about social justice. But he's able to do it, I think, subtly, which I think is great. And and it was great for 2001, but we certainly need it now when Mm -hmm. angry white nerd men are coming out and and being upset at certain things. So I think he he is a great character. And there are so many questions like Shy Rays that we could start to delve into. And, and like I said before, really see how he takes this mission to the streets and, and I think learn because he still has to learn some things as well. And I guess sales is why he wasn't used much after this. And, and maybe people didn't care for him as much. I don't know. Maybe yeah. Yeah. 
Well, and I think beyond uh, educating us, also he's great representation for um, for people of color, for black men, for skin black men, and I think that would be one of the most redeeming things about bringing him back is that there would be more representation. And I think that's one of Orpheus's goals as a hero and as his kind of his call. And so I think that's just another layer of his relevance and his compellingness in the comics. Yeah. And even if he didn't have his own standalone title, I mean, Batman, he's got the Batman family and detective comics. So he could always be in a, in a team book as well and, and add something to that. And it too. seemed like they were trying to set it up for that. Um, yeah. towards the end, they were saying Batman is asking, he's like, do you have like, I forget how he phrased it. I feel like he's like, you have like your people or your squad or whatever. And he's like, yeah. And like, we'll kind of like handle this side of Gotham. If you handle this side, wow, there was so much in the works for this character. Yeah. And it just all, all fizzled out. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Mm-hmm. Well, anything else on the story before we give it a rating? I don't think so. Okay, anything else? I really appreciate this time that we've had to delve into <laughs> it. And I think, in all seriousness, I think I through this conversation, and often this is how it works, but like I glean a lot more from a book talking about it with oh, more people than yeah. just when I've read it. I think initially reading it, I was like, this is a good story. You know, it's not the most interesting story I've read, but I think it's important. But I think now that we've talked about it, I've really come to come to enjoy it. <laughs> I would agree. I definitely agree. I was like prepping my notes or rather wasn't. I was like, oh my gosh, I don't know what I'm going to say. <laughs> but like having had the conversation, I didn't really feel that way about like any, any part of the conversation. Like, I don't know. Like I felt I had more thoughts just like bouncing off of y'all's thoughts and stuff. And yeah, I would I would agree. It was I feel like I enjoyed it more having talked about it and kind of like delved into these questions. Mm-hmm. And I am a little like disappointed that there, even though I don't know that I would would have read the comics, like I read Wikipedia, so <laughs> I am disappointed that he doesn't have a longer story that I can go on Wikipedia and read. So. <laughs> His history. I guess you can go on and see what happens to him in war games if you so desire. Well, that just seems sad. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's what I told Jacob. I was like, now that I know that his story is kind of cut short, I was like, kind of sad. Yeah. It's like all anyone, these TV episodes you're talking about. Does anyone talk about Orpheus? Is there any like attempt mean? to get him back into the... There should be some sort of... I don't of think so. The fact that I had no idea who it was, I think should speak volumes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, unfortunately, I guess we're doing it now. We're educating the masses with my podcast on... <laughs> yes, that's the goal. Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, this is, I mean, this is what I expected it to be because every time we watch a film, we talk about it anyways. Mm. This is So true. that's why I knew you guys were going to be good because we just <laughs> have conversations afterwards. So let's see. What should our rating system be? Now it's out of 10. Usually I oh. take the rating from something within the comic. Yeah, I don't want to be too macabre. So I've got a, well, out, out of 10, Icicle Beach Bubbles. I was thinking. <laughs> let's go with that one. That's probably the lightest I can go on the story. What would you give this story? It's harder because we don't read comics. Oh, okay. So I don't have a lot to compare it to. Sure. But I'm going to say, I'm going to give it a 6.5. Wow, okay. Icicle (laughs) icicle, uh, uh, bubbles out of 10. Okay. Wow, I was thinking like 6.75. 6.75? And I was like, seven. And I was like, well, six and a half. 
<laughs> and I was like, well, six point, because I was like six and a half, it just seems close. I'm like five. Like, I'm like, eh, that's like, you know, like mediocre, <laughs> like bored, like just, just a notch above mediocre. And I think it was like a little bit more than that. So I'm going to, okay. I think I'm going to confidently say 6.75. <laughs> Out of 10, icicles. Okay. Are we being more relentless though? Because like when you rate comics, there is. They're kind of higher. Yeah. Is a 6.5. Would that literally be like a 60? Like that would be a fail if it were a test. Well, it is technically. Yeah. It would be a D. So. Oh, well, that case. See, that's I hard. Say, I would say 7.5. Is that a C? Is that a low C? Yeah. And I would probably say a 7. Okay. Yeah. I would agree with Shy, I think, and say a 7.5 out of 10 bicycle speech bubbles. Yeah. I think that there were some great moments. It was a bit narration heavy, even though he asked some great questions. There was a lot of uh, narration. And then just, I've got some coloring questions. Yeah. (laughs) As you know. You said to know what Shannon was thinking when she. I would like to know what Shannon, or what she was told, I guess. If they make him as dark as possible, then I would wonder why. So, yeah, but I think, you know, I would recommend this. I I think that it is a story that can inform and and ask good Mm -hmm. questions. So, okie dokie. So now we're, we're reaching the end of your time. Uh-huh. Which is good. I have to use the restroom as well, but see, I oh, hold it. I hold it. I'm like some people. Did you say you do? Were yeah, you literally holding it. Were you drinking Pepsi throughout? No, it's a buble. Oh, buble. I got this at Wegmans right it. before I was tackled to the ground because some rando wanted to get rotisserie chicken. Well, here's the thing, though. I heard. Did you actually rush and like bump somebody off to get no. the chicken? Because that's how he presented it in the text. No, I stood in a specific spot watching them restock the chickens. I feel like people listening are going to be like, oh my gosh, is she obsessed with rotisserie chicken? No, I had like circle, I was grocery shopping and I circled the store for like a long time. Because like a like, shark because like circling that store. They only had a few chickens out there. And I was like, I don't want one of those old chickens. And I also wanted a differently seasoned one. You didn't want the naked one. Yeah, they, were, they had like the naked chickens, basically. They didn't have any seasoning. And so I could see that they were rotisserieing more chickens. Sure. And I was waiting and waiting and waiting. And they weren't coming out. And I was like, well, they should come out around the time people get off work. So I took my groceries to the car and I was like, I might leave. I might go back inside. And then I saw your vehicle and I waited and I was kind of like deciding if I was going to go back in and wait for the chicken and also seeing if you would come out. So I figured you would because you're probably a much more efficient shopper than I am. So I was like, she won't be in there very long. (laughs) So then I I was like about to get out to go check on the chickens and I saw you. So I talked to you and I went back inside. I found a little place where I could kind of like watch because there wasn't anywhere I could like sit. And yeah, I didn't want to go too far and I already had all my groceries. So I was kind of like watching from afar and I saw them putting the chickens in the little warmer thing. But there was a woman like kind of like walking, like kind of like past me. And I was looking past her. I think I like looked up and saw the chickens and made a move to go. But she probably thought I was like looking at her and was about to like wave at her or like walk up to her or something. But I was not, I did not care about this one. I was just looking at the chickens. So I let her walk by and then I went over and grabbed one of only like three chickens. Like they put out like probably 20 more, but only like three of the ones that I like. I was like, wow, there must be like a low demand for the barbecue flavored chicken. Interesting. Yeah. What a tale of struggles and triumphs. Yes, it was, but... I got the chicken and that's what matters. Was the it ultimate, worthwhile? And the, the ultimate end? triumph was it's the burrito, the Chipotle style burrito bowls that she made with a Chick-fil-A style burrito bowl. 
Chipotle style. Chipotle style. Oh, wow. Yeah. Man. Usually I would make my own chicken, but I didn't feel like it. And I wanted a rotisserie chicken because now, I mean, rotisserie chicken will feed you for days, days, days. Like you get so much use out of them. I'm about to have some as soon as we get off this call. You do and then, on the bone. You could have gnawed on the bone while we were tapping. I know. I, I should have. And then after that, I can use the carcass and make chicken stock. So. Oh, I see. The carcass. Yeah. The wow. carcass. And then throw it out to the deer. Well, it'll, it'll, what kind of deer are these? Are deer? No, that would be so disturbing if we just saw them feeding like their necks down behind our fence. Well, I'm gonna boil the carcass down to basically nothing. So yeah. So oh boy, what a delightful tale! Before we go, do you want to give us some voices of the different characters? Oh gosh, you can be. Mine is not a voice. It was just my voice. I was just reading it. And a slightly exaggerated tone. So I'm not going to do mine. I did the Batman earlier on. Oh, yeah, Batman. I love one of Carl. Carl was morphed into JFK, basically. Oh. Like a nerdy JFK. A nerdy, annoying JFK. Hold on. Uh, There's a conversation. Okay. I think you can do this. This is a good one, yeah. We'll go down there soon. Take out a few lowlifes. Help restore order. So when they're handling out the plum assignments later, we'll be first in line. <laughs> they were primed for it. All they needed was an excuse. <laughs> Miles went soft on all of us and on our cause. Suddenly he was afraid because you killed Sanchez. <laughs> that was uh, that was Carl Esterhouse. I don't, Thank you. Rescue can welcome. be offensive because it's, a really I was just trying to Russian do accent. a Russian accent and it was not going well. So we'll okay. skip Rasputin's. Oh, hello. Thank you. Well, I mean, it was, it helped keep me in the story. I can't find Rasputin. Let's see if we find him. Is we'll that learn. him? No, that's narration. No, yeah, that's, well, that's, that's just this one line if you want to say it. We're ready, Rasputin. Here we go. A good night for dying, gentlemen. <laughs> see that as many of the deacons as possible embrace that singular experience <laughs> oh boy well i love the fact that you guys read it together and made it an audiobook basically oh it was great oh yeah it, okay it's difficult though to do because a lot of it is like intuiting like if you're reading it just reading it visually like right you're able to kind of take in what it's doing but it was very choppy to like try to read all the word bubbles and so we kept stumbling over yeah, it was kind of rough. <laughs> but we made the most of it okay uh, are you reading anything? So I, I will do my literature recommendations in part two, so I won't say mine. But do you guys have anything that you would recommend to audiences? Are they behind us? They might be behind us. The Holy Bible. The Holy Bible oh. is number one. I wasn't actually, well. It was just on top of everything. But yes, I mean, you were reading. <laughs> what That's book really in the Bible are you well. currently on? What's that? Well, book in the Bible, people might find it overwhelming to read the whole tomes. Um, well, I hop around a little bit. I'm currently in the book of Joshua. Okay. So it's detailing the story of the Israelites as they are wandering in the desert after this is post Moses. And yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty good. Okay. Jacob takes more time than I do to set aside to read. So I haven't read this in a while. I'm a pretty fast reader if I am reading a lot. So I should be finished with this and several more, but I'm not, but I'm reading just mercy. Oh, um, Slowly but surely, my bookmark came out the other day, and I don't know where I was. So, yeah. That was my book of 2020. It was? 
Yep. Like, like you picked a book of 2020, like your most recommended? In my January episode, I did like my best of list. Oh. And for book, I said just Mercy was the best one that I read in 2020. Okay. Yeah. It, it was, I mean, like I said, I haven't sat down to read it, but it was good so far. And I'm going to read it. I'm going to finish it. I, I think I set myself like a book. Uh, what's it called? What are you doing? Goodreads? The whole, Goodreads. Yeah. <gasps> A I goal? Said, yeah. The reading challenge? I did. But I really need to get on it. I don't know how many it was. Oh, no. It is. It's so, anyways. I'm reading Dune. Wow. So this, was a, yes. this was a Christmas present from my yes. beloved wife. Oh. Um, and, yeah. Quite far. We also, yeah, you got it. I think, yeah, I'm about, I'm a little more than a third away third of the way through you got it for me in the anticipation of the live action movie that's going to be coming out soon ish yeah but i'm enjoying it some people i think there's mixed reviews on this book but i find the the politics of it and the what were you saying i was gonna say exposition the exposition setup the world building i think it's all very very interesting so i like it a lot and i haven't finished it yet but so far i would uh, definitely recommend it well i guess that'll be a friday hangout in the future yeah, for sure. I've got the for HBO sure. Max. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, the connection. We can just keep it logged in. No. Since we <laughs> seem to keep going and watching things. Oh, on my heavens. No, okay, not. well, I will not ask for your emails, but if anyone has any comments, <laughs> they can just send them to me and I will uh, forward them on your way. But... I cannot tell you how much an honor and a pleasure it was to see your little faces on the screen and chat about this interesting story. Yeah, absolutely. We had a lot of fun. We had a lovely time. Great start. To and we Saturday. would love to come on again. Oh. <laughs> uh oh. Look at her eyes. Look at her eyes. I wonder. I, it's going to take. It took a year to convince you to come on it in the first. Sounds place. like it was like a constant, like nagging, and that's waves not what beating it was. up against the shoreline, wearing away. Slowly. It was a wall that I couldn't bust through, but it happened, and now she's building it up again. And I got to break it down. That's essentially what's happened. That's a much better <laughs> description. Yes. As we've been recording, she's been like building like, up well, the wall. <laughs> we did that <laughs> with the brick and mortar. Oh, boy. Well, thank you. Is there anything you would like to uh, promote <laughs> at this time? I don't know. This no, I've read, that's totally something people do, and I don't. I okay. Follow me on Instagram. Follow me on blah, blah, blah. No. I don't want anyone to follow me. Okay. That's I love sure you just follow me on Instagram. I'm not going to give my name. You know, I will give my name just because it's cool. My name on Instagram is Shy of the Tiger, like Eye of the Tiger, but Shy, S-H-A-I. <laughs> You don't have to follow me. I'm just telling you because because it's cool. Yeah. Yeah. My Instagram little... handle while we're doing this is Jacob underscore Ash the Mash, all one word, and that is because my yep. senior year I had a teacher named Asher Sproul, and one t- one day we found I guess one of his prized possessions, which was a, a baseball, and it said on it Ash. I have it Ash. on my I'll screen share right now. Do you really? Yes, I do. Did you take a picture of it? Uh, maybe I scanned it. Wow. Oh, I want to see it. I love this. It's like the backstory to your name. 
What's also, wild? Jacob's middle name is Asher. So yeah, that was the more applicable thing. My middle name is Asher, so I made that Instagram. Oh, there he is. Yep, we found him. Oh, that's what Mason made. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I was not thinking that's what you were talking about. Oh, yes, this, oh my. Well, that's when he we played wiffle ball, faculty <laughs> wiffle ball versus seniors or whatever. Faculty versus oh. He's running the first, I guess. I don't know. And he even signed it, Ash the Mash at the bottom. Well, the crazy thing, I don't know if he signed that or if, if we had printed it out and he signed it or if Mason took the signature from the baseball <laughs> and replicated oh. it on here. But either way. Yeah. That is incredible. Anyway, so there you go. I wonder what Mr. Sproul would think that he's now on my podcast. (laughs) Immortalized. Yep. Okay, well, when I come back, these two lovely human beings won't be with me, but I'm going to be looking at some modern quickies, including Batman and Dark Knight's death metal, last stories of the DC universe, which I'll focus on more. But now, Zias's Radio Hour, (laughs) featuring Falling Asleep at the Wheel by Holly Humberstone. Check you guys later. I've always wanted to hear you say that in person. And now you have. Oh, you never smoked this much before we met. Light up, light up another cigarette. I can tell you're drinking only to forget. Don't know how I got you in such a mess. How am I supposed to be your ray of light, your ray of light? I get dark sometimes. Does it pass you by? I should be your ray of light, your ray of light. But I'm falling, falling asleep at the wheel. Guess I forgot how to feel. Just for a second you're talking, but I'm just pretending you have my attention. I'm falling. Falling asleep at the wheel I made you think it was real If you think we're strong enough Come on and wake me up You never looked this tense before we met Back up, back when we were so innocent All this emotion that we're buried in Tied up, fired up on this adrenaline how am I supposed to be your ray of light, your ray of light? Not a cloud inside, what a perfect night. I should be your ray of light, your ray of light. But that's not me. And I'm falling, falling asleep at the wheel. Guess I forgot how to feel. Just for a second you're talking, but I'm just pretending you have my attention. I'm falling, falling asleep at the wheel. I made you think it was real. If you think we're strong enough, come on and wake me up, wake me up. I forgot how to feel Just for a second you're talking But I am just pretending you have my attention I'm falling, falling asleep
Welcome back. I think this segment will probably be a lot shorter just because I'm doing some modern quickies and we'll really only talk about, to a fuller extent, one particular story in one issue. But here we are. This is what I was thinking would potentially happen. I'm going to go through some of the modern Batman tales that have been going on. I guess these came out in December, I suppose, uh, because I know that DC Comics has had taken that break with the the next dot, 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 all the, those future slate or future state stories. And then I was thinking next episode, I would cover some of those future state because actually some significant things actually happen in some of those stories, those issues, and then hopefully start to get right into current Batman as it's going along, and then Nightwing, since I know that Oracle is going to be appearing in both of those, or Batgirl and Oracle, who knows. But my plan is, well, I'm just going to be doing quickies, but in, in <laughs> right now they're modern quickies. But the same rules apply as I was doing with the vintage quickies that I will give creator credits and I will give the publisher synopsis, at least I grabbed it from comiXology.com, and then tell you what Oracle is doing in these particular issues. If we start to get into more significant stories where I feel like this might actually happen in Nightwing, his ongoing once he returns, then I'll actually do full reviews. But for right now, I think I'll just do these as quickies as I did before and I'm, gosh, it feels like I'm getting back into Batman because I've been away since I left the Batman Universe comic, comic podcast. So this, it was interesting. I enjoyed actually starting to reread them again, but I remember being overwhelmed when I was on the comic cast just because they were coming out because they were coming out two times a month. But here we go. So we're going to do these and then I will focus more on Last Stories of the DC Universe which we all know why probably I'm going to be focusing on that. So first we have Batman 102 Ghost Stories Part 1, writer James Tynion IV, penciler Carlo Pagulea, inker Danny Mickey, artist pages 13 through 16, Carlos Standa. Bruce Wayne and the city he loves have changed dramatically following the events of the Joker War, but Batman and his mission are eternal. But not everyone thinks that should be the case. The mysterious vigilante known as Ghostmaker has known Bruce since they were teenagers, and he's made his decision. It's time Gotham City had a new hero. So Oracle is on a mission with uh, Batman 
uh, against some grinners and Batman wants some eyes on the inside, which is why Oracle's with him. And she actually gives him a digital map of the interior. She mentions she's not sure if she does more good as Batgirl or Oracle. So there is some commentary on her role. I think meta commentary as well as commentary with, within the comic and seeing Cass and stuff with the bat symbol has given her some ideas. So again, I think just some things to take away is, is of course, this discussion that you do more good as Batgirl or Oracle. I think it depends on the era, doesn't it? And then giving her some ideas. So a lot of food for thought, I think, as we're reading it, but also being readers and fans of Barbara Gordon, what does this mean for her publishing-wise? So uh, I think there might be – it seems to me like we're going to carry on – or she's going to carry on both of these mantles at the same time. And then I would love for this Cass and Steph and the bat symbols and whatever her ideas are to mean a bit more than just her saying that. I hope that something does come out. And I think in a future one, yeah, uh, I'll mention something that Stephanie Brown says. So that was 102. Yes. Batman 103, Ghost Stories Part 2, writer James Tiny the Fourth, artists, Ryan Benjamin, Danny Mickey, Bengal, and Guillaume March. Batman and Ghostmaker go toe-to-toe to decide which of them will remain Gotham City's hero. The city is changing faster than ever in the aftermath of the Joker War, and with this change comes increasing dangers as Gotham citizens demand that Punchline be released from prison. Plus, Harley Quinn faces certain death at the hands of Clown Hunter, who's a child. So Oracle is frustrated she can't hear or see Ghostmaker on anything, and Batman tells her to stop looking because his Ghostnet computers will eat hers alive, which is really quite shocking given what we know about Barbara and her <laughs> her setup. But perhaps this is, you know, current era Barbara, whereas Oracle in the past, I think, could have eaten Ghostmakers alive. But that's just saying something if we well, we do know Oracle's abilities. And so to, to find someone else that can beat her in that is really interesting. And then we get to Batman 104, Ghost Stories Part 3, writer James Tiny the Fourth, artist Carlo Pagulaya, Danny Mickey, and Guillaume March. Ghostmaker is living up to his spectral name as Batman scours Gotham City for any trace of him. But this deadly new vigilante is going to prove a bloody point to the Dark Knight by murdering both Clown Hunter and Harley Quinn. That is, unless they kill each other first. So Oracle reaches out to Nightwing, who says he's coming back tonight, which implies there's some romance that is happening. And brings him up to speed on what's been going on. And then Nightwing actually fills her in on Batman's history with Ghostmaker since he encountered him once as Robin. And of course, by doing that for Oracle, you do that for the readers as well. Stephanie at one point checks in with Oracle saying, quote, Batgirl's calling into Batgirl Prime, end quote. And when Babs says they haven't had that conversation yet, Steph says, quote, if there can be a billion Robins, why can't there be three backgrounds? End quote. And basically all the fans said, amen. I would love for that to actually happen. And and there's that conversation where, of course, it's a bit tongue-in-cheek coming and, and best coming from Stephanie. But literally, literally, we've all been saying that. You had that Robins book. You, you've had uh, so many Robins. And we can't have, number one, we can't have a decent backgirl title. And number two, yeah, we can't have a Batgirls title or Team Batgirl or Batgirl Incorporated. I don't even know if you want to borrow that from 
Batman. So I feel like throughout this and, and, and James Tiny in the fourth, just given what I've read when he's talked about Barbara, I think he, he recognizes her importance and I'm hoping, I feel like he does have the clout to pull something like this off to have it, you know, maybe this be like a, a backdoor pilot and, and lead into an actual Batgirls title. I think he has the importance over at DC Comics. I think he's got editor's ears. And the big thing, though, I think will go out to you guys and and us is that if that does, in fact, happen, we really need to buy it. We need to make it sell because they're going to do that whole thing where they give a what? a seven issue or 12 or 13. I remember when they were doing this with the Robins, they gave, they gave it a short order run to see how it was doing. And then it, when it didn't do well, they, they chopped it. So that's, we can only blame the, you know, the editors and, and DC comics so much because if we're not buying things, then they're going to take it away from us. So, but you know, the flip side is of course, should we be buying things that's trash? So, you know, I was holding on and, and buying Batgirl, but I wasn't enjoying it. And when you're giving the money, does that say like, oh, you are enjoying it? But it's more like, well, I just want the character to keep on going. So there's, of course, there's a flip side to everything. But I'm hoping, you know, I hope that this isn't just a joke that is being said, but something actually comes from this. Here's hoping. Okay. And then what I want to focus on most is the last stories of the DC universe and basically talking about this whole it says love story we'll see so we'll share my screen so if you guys have it with you i would almost read along with me you know which one i'm going to be doing and i am going to go through this and actually i don't have any notes on this i don't even know where to begin but i think we're just going to talk about i think that there are some interesting moments and well let's just begin shall we so this is dark knight's death metal the last stories of the dc universe how would you spend your last night on earth the final battle against the batman who laughs is at hand the final battle for the fate of the universe the fate of everything is coming tomorrow and survival is not assured but tonight our heroes have what might be their last chance to say their goodbyes to let go of regrets to spend time with the ones they love or to do as much good as they possibly can for some these stolen moments will be their last stories i don't know how much this is in continuity so that's actually a good question. And it's interesting because I just read, you know, the, the the Dark Knight's death metal, or I thought I did. I guess it's just an ongoing thing. So I'm a bit out of it, so you can excuse me. But I feel like this might actually be in continuity still. That should have been something that I looked up before. So let's say that it is. And if I'm proven wrong, (laughs) then I'll let you know. But we're going to be focusing on the Bat family in We Fight for Love. And guess, (laughs) guess who's writing it? Yes, that's right. Cecil Castellucci. Artist Mirka Andolfo. Colorist Andrew Dahlhouse. Letterer Saida Temofonte. Okay, so we'll go through. So there, and and by the way, there's, it's, it's huge. It's a huge book. It's 84 pages We've got the Titans, Green Lantern, Wonder Woman, Green Arrow and Black Canary, Aquaman, and Superman as well. So there's a lot going on here. So now I just have to find all of this. I will say that there is a lot of beautiful art in this. Some things don't fit. Like this doesn't necessarily fit as much, the, the Black Canary one. But there, yeah, there's a lot of beautiful art within this issue. 
going through. Here we go. Here we go. Okay. <laughs> Where do I even begin? <laughs> oh boy. Okay. So, <laughs> yeah. So this is one reason why I don't know that it is in continuity, mainly because Barbara Gordon is for some reason her using her or wearing her Burnside Batgirl outfit. So unless that was an editorial issue where someone was not correcting the artist or I don't, the artist was also confused and skipped over. She's like, hey, so she's wrong. Then, uh, well, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what's going on here. I, there are some good moments in here. I would, I would like to say besides Batman's punk jacket that he's got on but the the fact that he look at this he's ready to apologize he says i've underestimated you in the past and for that i'm sure and she says don't man yeah he's saying you've always been a leader barbara you see solutions in different ways and so it is problematic that this is coming from him in the moment that or the moment before everyone may die so gosh, you know, it took this long, Bruce, for you to say all this. But the fact that he is saying it, I, I think means a lot. And however much I, of course, disagree with the things that this writer does, I will say that I think deep down, maybe not even deep down, but I, I think that Bruce absolutely believes these things about Barbara. And it's just it's just difficult for him to voice that. I think she could have used this though way earlier, you know, <laughs> in, in multiple timelines and past careers. I think she could have used this because there is, I think, this antagonism, not antagonism. It, the relationship is strained to a certain extent. And it really does depend on what continuity we're talking about. But they clearly do have some unresolved issues. And so here is, is a bit of a nice moment for them at least at the bottom he says someone might live on because she she's a bit i don't know she's she doesn't she's not as hopeful as one would expect for being barbara gordon and Batgirl, and she feels like everyone's dead but he says someone might live on someone we love i hope it'll be you so the fact that you know out of everyone he hopes that she would would carry on that mantle which is interesting because of course how much he loves his robins and i don't mean that derogatory I, I just mean like he he loves them they're his son so you would almost think that oh tim tim should be the one okay so we'll keep going on i love how we've got some people playing cards it reminds me of my favorite batman the animated series episode almost got him where they're talking about different times against the bat and, and playing cards at the the same time and of course we're revisiting and and seeing it really is the batman family right we've got tim we have jason there which there's not any interaction between him and barbara to show that there might have been some romance in the three jokers but of course i don't think that that's in continuity either and then of course we have dick here and uh, Nightwing and, and having fun and Barbara saying, Dick, cute outfit. You're going to fight in that because he has an apron on. <laughs> he says, can I make you a snack? And she says, I thought you were this snack. And he asks, are we flirting? And she says, finish up here. We're, ga we're gathering. And he wants a minute alone with her. And there's a lot that he has to say and just not a lot of time, which is really interesting. And then he's about to say whatever he wants to say and she says dick no there's work to be done and so here's that tension that i feel like i don't know i was gonna blame it on castellucci but well the most 
prominent moments of tension have happened in Kasuji's arc, but it just seems like this constant thing that's happened in this era of DC Comics that there has to be weird tension between Barbara and Dick. If there's not romance, there's tension. I feel like there's got to be an intermediary or this median between the two because they've known each other so long, they have that history that if there's not romance, I don't think they're going to be at each other's necks, is that what it's called, Mm -hmm. at each other's necks. They're going to be friendly. I think that they'll love each other. Whether it's not erotic love, I I think there's definitely some agape or can't remember what the other uh, love is there. And it often comes from Barbara Gordon. It's it's like we've always got to make her this you know, the B word basically. And, and I just don't like that. So no, she's saying no to Dick. There's work to be done. He wants to get some things off his chest. And uh, she says, you want to unburden yourself and burden me. (laughs) And then he smells something and it says, uh, he says, it reminds me of you, of what you mean to me. You're intoxicating. And then she gets angry. There's no time for this Dick. And he talks about a, a great Indian restaurant in Burnside in that night. I'm not sure if I'm missing something because I don't remember that. And she says, I don't need a cent to remember how deeply you hurt my feelings that night. <laughs> it's not going well for him. He says it might be his last chance to tell you. And she says, keep it to yourself. I need focus. He's trying. He's trying. I'm trying to tell you how I feel. And she says, I don't need you throwing emotional bombs at me. Come on, we're late. So this is what I'm talking about, this tension and, and always just from her side. He's really trying here. They all may die. And she's just put up this wall and is not listening to him, not even entertaining the conversation. It, it reminds me of, and I think this in particular is coming from Casalucci because of course it reminds me of, what was it, Batgirl 50, I guess it was, right? Where he is trying to start over and be friends. She's like, no, I can't ever trust you. And basically some hypocritical nonsense because of his trauma. And so here we have her. And now I could argue, or one could argue that she doesn't want to go into what they're about to go into, basically the suicide mission as as they're portraying it. I don't know, in danger, I guess, the fact that she's going to be worrying so much about him and going in there, and she just wants to protect herself at all costs and, and you know, not put it out there so that if he dies and she witnesses it, it, like, destroys her, even though, of course, they're all going to die. And just, I, I think, protecting herself, I guess, one could argue, but it just comes off really poorly. And someone who's trying to be genuine with you and really put your feelings out there whether you reject them or not i think at least hear them out especially in this crazy time the good thing of course about this is that the art is is really nice but that's about it isn't it so uh, nice little meeting we get uh, the bat family there though of course we've got some people missing which again continuity wise i don't know but Cass isn't there Batwoman isn't there, but I'm not really sure what the status of Batwoman is since we have the new Batwoman. And is there anyone else I would say? Harper Rowe? Do you remember her? She's not there. Um, Stephanie's not there. So I guess it really is the core, the core Bat. Whoa, wait a minute. I just thought (laughs) if this is the core Bat family, where the deuce is Damien? What's happening here? And that is Tim for sure, right? He wants to talk to us, Tim. Okay. Well, that's a bit confusing, but anyways, we'll we'll move on. 
So they had their little meeting and uh, he, <laughs> I don't know, should have been a group hug or everyone throw their arms in and say, go bad family or something like that. But he says, I'll, I'll see you all on the other side and let him go. Wait, so Damien is there? I'm so, oh, that was Damien. I'm so confused. I think there's something wrong. So, well, if that's it, I'll see you on the other side. So if that's Damien, but wasn't that Tim initially? (laughs) Editorial, what's happening? He wants to talk. That was Tim. He wants to talk to us, Tim. (gasps) There's something wrong. So Tim, all of a sudden in the group huddle, turned into Damien. So weird. Damien, let him go. He knows himself. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So, anyways, there's a big error because Tim and Damien are not the same people. That was Robinist, if I do say so myself. So, anyways, Barbara, she continues on. We should rest, but there's so much to do and we're out of time. I know. That's what I'm trying to tell you last night, alive or not. I want to be with you. And then she says, let's put this aside, Dick. I need to memorize more battle plans. We can't put this off any longer. I don't want to leave your side with anything unsaid. <laughs> oh, boy. If we, <laughs> if we have this conversation right now in this moment, then I'll worry about you. See, there you go. And I can't afford to feel what it's like to lose you again. You feel the same as I do. So why are we bickering? <laughs> I know. And then Batman, enough. Skip to the end where it's resolved because I need you in that headspace now. And the end, as as Dick says, okay, marry me, Barbara. Wait, is that where you think we end? Don't you? Well, yeah, I guess I do. So that's a huge shipper moment. And I love that. But it's just weird how it came came about. But that is, isn't that what they say, the end game? Because I definitely see however many struggles and triumphs and and on-agains and off-agains that they have, that they are end game. And I think I said that in my my shipper special, right, that I know I'm totally biased, but I just feel like those two are meant to be together. So she agrees. And uh, Batman says, by the power invested in me by nobody, you're married, done. And then he pulls Jason away, which is awkward. He pulls Jason away and says, let's give the newlyweds some space. So so Dick and Babs, I guess, spend the night together as they want to. And she says that the marriage doesn't stand if they live. But if if we live, it's, it's void and annulled uh, until I win you back. And she asks, think you can. And he says, I hope I have a lifetime left to try. She says, I could never stay mad at you for long even when I couldn't remember deep down, I could never forget. So, and then there's a kiss. Uh, and he says, from the moment I met you, you're my other half. So there are, so this here, I feel like <laughs> at least the bottom half, because we can talk about it. I think that the top half, I think that that is really beautiful. And that I think encapsulates what the relationship is that uh, he'll, Try. I think no matter what, they'll keep coming back to each other. I think there's just this gravity between them that that draws them back together, and I totally get that. I, I think you know my shipper special. I guess that's that was Connor and or sorry. Well, I could say Connor, Connor Kent, and and Cassie Sandsmark. You know that was they felt like they were probably going to die as well in Infinite Crisis, and so they were together. I, I guess this is almost a trope, right? Your last night on Earth, what would you do? And to know that their last night on Earth, Dick and Babs, 
that they would, well, Babs would fight it for a bit, but that they would come together and, and be the important people to each other that they know they are. So I guess Castellucci gets the spirit of it. I, I think there's just some unnecessary drama and tension to end up with that. And it's a bit sad that like, hey, if we live, this marriage means nothing. Whereas actually, wouldn't that be really interesting if you stayed married and you showed what that could be since we don't necessarily have any, I was going to say big examples of married couples and and what that's like. But of course, you know, we have Superman and Lois, but just, it seems like DC's MO is is to get people really close to getting married and then maybe they get married or something happens or they don't get married at all. And so what would it look like to have this partnership, a domestic partnership as well as a heroic one? I think that would be really interesting. I'm wondering if that's kind of what's going to happen with Nightwing, what this will be like. So if this is in continuity, what does that mean for the the pages there? And then Batman at the end, I'm pretty hopeful there. He says we fight together and in my heart, no matter what the outcome, that is our victory. So over, you know, overall, it wasn't, it was not a bad story. I think probably I'd give it a solid B, an eight, an eight out of 10 or a seven and a half out of 10. My main grievance is, well, number one with the positives, just beautiful art. I think you do, Kasuchi does get to for the most part to the heart or the, the spirit of the relationship. And so there is, there are some beautiful moments. I think, especially these last two pages between the two of them, I think you get a good sense of who they are to each other, but just the, the unnecessary drama and tension. And I guess really the focus is on these two. And, and you wonder if she could have expanded this story, what it would have been like to have moments between Damien, who is Damien, in this issue or not, I don't know, but Damien and Bruce or Jason and I don't know, other people. I was going to say Jason and Barbara, but that would be awkward, wouldn't it? Or Tim and Dick. I don't know. So it focused on the romance, which of course I'm fine with. I'm a shipper, but it'd be interesting to see other aspects of the bat family relationship. So that's why I would give this an eight out of 10 bats. And was that the last one? No, they put Superman. I wonder if they were, I often wonder how particular they are in laying stories out and importance because I, of course, I well, I shouldn't say of course, but if you recall, I, I also have a degree in architecture and pinups and things where pinups were basically when our designs were on display and we had to go through our critique and it was interesting the order or layout of where we were, who was next to us, that sort of thing. And there, we were never told the rhyme or reason if there was a rhyme or reason. I definitely know my photography, my digital photography professor, he joked about, you know, people always wonder why am I here? And I definitely, my last project for that photography class, I was in a really prominent area by some of the best in the class. And so I really wondered what was going on there. Uh, Kind of made me nervous. But yeah, I just wonder about order and who decides the order. And is there, you know, a specific order? I mean, we end with Batman, Superman. I don't know. And you'd think Wonder, Wonder, Wonder Woman was in near the beginning. I just wonder if there was some sort of, hmm, I don't know. 
And we're also looking at artists too. I mean, we had Gail Simone, Marigo Tamaki, Jeff Lemire. I mean, these are all big names. The Titans had Joshua Williamson, James Tynion the Fourth, and Scott Snyder. You got Mark Wade for Superman. So I don't know who decide. Well, I mean, I guess the editors decide, but very interesting. Okay, well, let's pull up my notes. This is, I told you it was going to be short. So there you go. And maybe that's just what my modern takes are going to be. But like I said, probably quickies and depending on the amount of story time that Oracle slash Batgirl has or her significance in the story will depend, will either compel me to do a full review or not. But I felt like last stories of the DC universe, I should have gone through that more. So that's why I decided to do that. Okay, well, I think we're on. I'm skipping anime watch list, though I did watch, I guess, season two of The Irregular at Magic High School, but maybe I'll save that for another recommendation. And I'll just go on to my literature recommendation. So excuse me while I pull up my Goodreads, because that is the only way that I know <laughs> to keep track of what I'm reading. By the way, I have to say I'm excited because my interlibrary loans are ticking in. I think I have four left, four total left. One, two, unless I have three left and another one just came in. So I am close to finishing my Rory Gilmore's reading list which I'm excited about. Okay, so let's go into my red. I've been doing a lot of Iron Fist reading, actually, just catching up almost over the the past couple years, I think, starting from 2017. But here we go. Okay, so the last one I believe I did from the previous episode was Nervous System or Losing My Mind in Literature. I read, I really wanted to read something called The Color Complex, which talked about I guess like the social and political and cultural structure of colorism, but unfortunately my library does not have it. But in looking for that, uh, it's by Kathy Russell and Midge Wilson. I was able to find something else called Divided Sisters. Yeah, so tackle the nature of relationships between black women and white women and explore how they do and don't get along. And so I I learned a lot, like a, a lot of these uh, n- books that I've been reading. and. The one thing that I would critique it on, which they even said at the very end that this was not the job of the book, is just like, how can we get along better? And they said, that's that's not for us <laughs> to say that wasn't the point of it. It was just to explore what our relationship looks like and why it may look like that. And so it did make me think about some things that I had been doing and, and just being cautious that I had not been cautious that I don't do that. And also answered some questions for me and I think brought up more questions on certain things. I think I found out about texturism in Divided Sisters, which I had no idea existed. So that, you know, more things are being, my horizons are being brought in even more. So I do recommend that. Then we have Small Great Things by Jody Picole. And wow, this was I recommend it. The end, I think, went too quickly and she missed some opportunities. So it's about a black nurse, specifically, and it's not a neonatal, is it? A neonatal nurse. And the patients refuse her as their nurse because they are a white supremacist. And 
then something happens with their child and she intercedes, the child dies, and then there's this whole court thing uh, that go that she has to go through and, and they go through and everything. So the ending, I mean, everything, this court, it's building, it's building, it's building. Then this thing happens <laughs> at the end. And for me, it somewhat comes out of nowhere, though, though there were seeds. It was... I felt like it was a little unbelievable, though when I said this to somebody else, I felt like, oh, I shouldn't have said that because of a response that she said. I don't really want to spoil this particular novel. So then I felt really bad. But man, the I, I wish I could spoil it because then I could tell you the things that happened. But she, Picot had, Picot? Pico had a really interesting opportunity to investigate or have a character investigate what this new identity meant for them, I'll say. And instead, she killed off that character. And then the and then another character grew and changed. And it was just so quick. There was no there was a great opportunity to do more with that. And and it felt like she was just ready to move on, like let's end the court thing and let's give this other character a new chapter in his life. And so I Sadly, I disagreed with that. Okay, then stamp from the beginning, the definitive history of racist ideas in America. See, I've been reading all of this by Ibram X. Kendi. That was really interesting. Of course, I have. I mean, basically, the one thing I've learned is that racism is sewn into the DNA of this country. It started even before people were over here. So, of course, they, they carried their racist ideas over uh, which is really unfortunate. So we really need to step it up and, and fight this kind of stuff. There were some things I disagreed with, per, you know, per usual, I suppose. You, you have to, <laughs> even though Don asked me at one point, if Kendi asked you to jump off of a cliff, would you? And I said, I don't know. I'd have to <laughs> think about it. But you do have to, you can't take everyone, even though I really like him, you can't take everything they say as gospel. And so, of course, you know, this is history. So I'm, I'm tracking with it and, and I'm trusting that he's got the facts and everything. But then some things he says at the end, I felt like he contradicted himself at one point. I reread it a couple of times, just that, you know, protests don't make a difference. And then later on, it's like, we do need to protest. And, and so I feel like, you know, it might feel like protests aren't making a difference, but if you don't do anything, then people are going to think that everything's hunky dory. So you do have to step up. So anyways, always, you know, read with a grain of salt and and make up your own mind. Don't be lemmings. Absolutely. I reread Absolute Identity Crisis by Brad Meltzer and Rags Morales. I really love that. My favorite, I shouldn't say that, one of my favorite DC Comics stories, period. And if you listen to my Shaper Spotlight, you'll understand why I did that. World of Wonders and Praise of Fireflies, Whale Sharks, and Other Astonishments by Amy Nezhukumatatil. I hope that's correct. But short essays just about particular it's it's an essay slash memoir book or a series of essays slash memoir. And I wonder what the adjective is for essay. But any in essay no, I don't know. But it yeah, it examines different species of life and then how it uh, interacts with her life, which was interesting, her history and her upbringing, things like that. Extravagance, which was one of my Rory Gilmore's reading list by Gary Christ. Really interesting. It takes place in London in the, 
Uh, okay, so London in the 1690s and New York in the 1990s. And so the first time, and it's really all about Wall Street and, and that sort of thing, trading. And the first time it switched, it was at a chapter mark, so that was fine. But I had been in London, and then all of a sudden it switches over to New York, and I felt like I had been on drugs and it does it more frequently and near the end it's doing it within a chapter and I really it it took me aback it was more interesting than had it because these (laughs) these interlibrary loans I'm just like you need to give them to me I'm not even looking up what they are so they're all a surprise to me so it was a surprise I don't know that I necessarily would have read that on my own had Rory not read it Another interlibrary loan, A Month is Sunday, Searching for the Spirit and My Sister by Julie Mars, where for 30 Sundays, she goes to different churches. Uh, Her sister died of cancer. I'm trying to think of what, was it liver cancer? I don't think it was liver cancer, but she cared for her uh, until she passed away. And then she was really, I mean, uh, her sister went back to church or, or at least found that at the end and struggled with it a bit. And then the author really has struggled with it for a long time. So she was searching for that. As I said, the, the spirit and my sister, which was good. I enjoyed that. One Life by Megan Rapino, And I suppose a ghostwriter, even though she's got a name here. And this was, again, I really enjoyed this memoir. It goes quick. I mean, it really is a memoir, even though it seems to be an autobiography. But just it seems to jump episodes quickly. So she doesn't delve in too deeply. But I learned a great deal about her, especially her relationship with Jill Ellis, the U.S. National Women's Team coach what the repercussions were when she knelt during the national anthem after uh, the San Francisco Ford, uh, Colin Kaepernick did it and that there was no support really from, from the coach and, and the, the federation and things like that. And also just that I felt a kindred spirit with Megan in that she might've been a late bloomer understanding I think uh, the the triumphs and and struggles of different people groups, uh, people of color, because she's within the queer community, she certainly understood that, but just starting to understand it and and looking for more education, because I feel like that's me as well, just like not necessarily, I think thinking everything was (laughs) hunky-dory. Until you realize like, wow, actually things are not hunky-dory. And then not sitting in my ignorance, but actually trying to learn more and educate myself. So I felt like uh, that that she and I were similar. Uh, like I said, been reading Iron Fist or The Living Weapon by Kari Kyle Andrews. It was okay. The Guest List by Lucy Foley. I really enjoyed. I was listening to that to audiobook. And I number one, I thought, am I going to find out who died at the same time that I find out who murdered them? And kind of. And it was someone I didn't expect. So let's just say that. But, you know, the person who died, I thought, good riddance because uh, that person needed to go. And I needed a, a space of, you know, a cleansing. So I read The Return by Nicholas Sparks, which I feel like is a almost a double meaning because... Didn't he return? Didn't he step away from writing? And then it feels like he came back. But I I liked that a great deal. And then just read Immortal Iron Fists, which was a limited series, again, by Kari Kyle Andrews. And I didn't really care. The art I did not care for. And... Weird, weird stuff was going on in that, so I wouldn't recommend that. So that has been what I have been reading. So there you go. Well, this is it. Thank you for sticking with me. I don't think this went too long. 
Remember, you can send any questions or comments to backworldoracle at gmail.com. You can also find the show on Google Play and Stitcher, like the show on Facebook, or follow it on Twitter at Oracle, and subscribe to the show on YouTube for an uncut version, which you can be watching and following along and reading comics with me. Follow the Batman Universe on Facebook and Twitter as well, and support the Batman universe by subscribing to Patreon. Once again, thanks to Mile High Comics for sponsoring Back Row the Oracle, the Barbara Gordon podcast. And thank you to Jacob and Shire, as I like to call them, Joshua, that's her little shipper name, for coming on. And <laughs> I hesitate to say what I'm going to say, so maybe I won't do it. I'll filter it. But I'm glad that I got to uh, break you in on podcasting, and hopefully it is not the, the last time. Happy Black History Month, and until next time, fly on, Babs Lovers. Just plain Barbara Gordon, masquerading for a lark as she rides into the night on her special Batgirl cycle. Who knows? Is the dynamic duo destined to become the triumphant trio? Only time will tell us more about this dazzling dare doll. Love a happy ending, don't you? Could you repeat that one more time? Repeat what? Just what you just said. (laughs) I wrote it down, so I'm just reading what I said. I said the culture defines the freedom, like what what freedom or identity is within that community. And then the community or the people, uh, as well as like history, um, define the culture. Okay. So it's all kind of intermixed. It's like a, yeah. With like our country and, oh my gosh, there's like a family of deer outside. Oh, <laughs> Do you want to turn your computer or is it going to? You wouldn't be able to you see them. See uh, okay, sorry, they're I'm in your garden? No. Oh, they hopped over the fence? <laughs> That would be so disturbing. But they're just like ran up and they're really big. Like, I feel like, I don't know. I'm not going to go down that. But anyway. He did. Like a harbinger of like deep conversation that all these deer just pop in. Oh my gosh. You're like Doug from Up. (laughs) Well, it was like, (laughs) you would be distracted too if you saw like 10 deer. Okay, it was like five. Uh, Anyways, okay, what I was saying. Mm-hmm. Okay, I, I did know. have a question you about. Yes, you. yeah. Oh no, do I? <laughs> oh, no. Okay, what's? I don't know what I. <laughs> okay, now we can what? Just talk about badly about him for a few yeah, moments. Uh, he's like, he's, he'll hear. <laughs> he wouldn't hear anything. No, he wouldn't hear. Man What's alive. the tea? Yeah, <laughs> well, now everyone knows on the YouTube. What's funny, I mean, honestly, this guy, how many, he gets up all the time to go in, in movie theaters. He's got to go to the bathroom. That's like so crazy to me that like, that someone could not sit through a movie. Like, I don't, we might be able to. I think he, I think if we walk, I think if he goes to the beginning, he'll make it through. No, if he's drinking something, probably not. Yeah, Even like I, going to visit my parents, like two hours away, we had to stop for him to use the bathroom. At I'm like, that one uh, welcome center. Yes, but I'm like, wait, what? I'm just so confused. 
Like, how do you not? You can't make it like two hours. I can make it several hours. I don't know. I guess his little bladder is tiny. I guess so. I mean, also, no, I don't think he even drank any water today. I mean, like, I kind of have to go, but like, I'm pretty good at holding it if I don't think about it. So I'm fine. (sighs) (laughs) Such is life. Such is life. I get used to it. And I I honestly should have known. I don't know why I didn't think about, oh, we're going to be talking for a couple hours. (laughs) He's definitely going to have to get up and use the bathroom. I did think about it, but I thought he'd be able to make it. No, he's back now. He's back. Oh, welcome back. So sorry for interrupting. (laughs) The people on the YouTube, you know, you made it longer than I thought you could. (laughs) The people on the YouTube all knows about your bathroom now. There was a, I'm just kidding. 